episode 91 of Zapped to the Past. I am Adrian Mills and I'm joined as always by Graham Radding. If you have not listened before, then this is the podcast where we discuss games that were released for the Commodore 64. We're using the magazine Zap 64 as a monthly guide for the games to focus on, but we are in no way affiliated with Zap 64 itself. This week, we start our look at June 1988, and the first batch of games reviewed in issue 38 of Zap 64, along with what was also going on in the UK singles chart that month. So, Graham, what have we got going on this week? In this hand-selected pick-and-mix selection specifically for dogs, yes, it's a thing of an episode, we slip into our noisiest tap-dancing shoes and sneak around the IKEA-furnished robot-filled rooms and towers of Elvin Attenbender's LA home, looking for music. In Impossible Mission 2, prepare the industrial-strength mind bleach for what can only be described as one of the biggest C64 gaming skid marks we have yet had the displeasure to deal with, in the form of Lee Enfield in the Tournament of Death, and then try our best to prevent our sides from rupturing as our funny bones are slapstick to death in the slow-loading nightmare of the Three Stooges. You want more fried chicken feet? We give you more fried chicken feet for dogs. We also head into the Bargain Bucket Bonanza with a C64 yeehaw and a good old-fashioned Western horseback heist in the comedic Train Robbers. Take a moment to try and decipher the utter instructional gibberish and piece together what on earth an egg-throwing mirror-obsessed hook-nosed wizard has to do with subterranean vampires and windmilling blonde men. Yep. In the crappy Vampire's Empire, we hammer the fire button and shoot at everything that attacks in convenient patterns as we avoid some nicely drawn background in Subterranea before finally grabbing our best sensible coats and shoes. See what I did there? Climbing into our space steed, that is not as gross as it sounds, as we fight to stop our space oxen from being rustled in, oh no, I don't know, June. You came along with all the hopes and then just added more shit to the soup. Thanks. Thanks a lot, turd. <laughs> <laughs> I've been Adrian Sorry. Mills. <laughs> did, I, did I did I say that out loud? I do that sometimes. He's been Graham Raddings. You've been listening to Zap to the Past. <laughs> do we just need to do yeah this week? Um yeah. Uh <laughs> oh my god. Right, uh, before we get into anything, we need to look at the cover. <laughs> oh, of course. I forgot, you know, I completely forgot that we do that. Could you have I remembered? Because yes. actually in my notes I have I have cover written in massive words, which I which, <laughs> which when I saw for a moment ago I thought someone was shooting at me and my, my, my past self was telling me to duck. Um, <laughs> duck but it's not cover. It is the cover. So issue thirty eight, this sick and horrific SF violence. It all, it's almost like this was written for, for somebody. Because <laughs> mm. somebody who's a sick child. <laughs> Very sick child. <laughs> Very Mary, sick Rattles, child. Mary Rattles did not approve. Not she approve, not. I say. So this cover is for Alien Syndrome, one of the games we'll be looking at over this month. Um, yep. And is a couple of blokes shooting a, a tonguey eye monster. Don't know yeah, what. it is, yeah. I guess it's an alien, I think yeah. is the... Yeah, I guess so, yeah. I wonder what his syndrome is. 
Who knows this, you know, it could be anything, couldn't it? Could be. Attention deficit. <laughs> could be anything, yeah, it could be anything. Um, but yeah, so Alien Syndrome, Digital Artist, whatever. Uh, there's also a mention of Impossible Mission 2. Is it the second greatest game of all time? No, it's not. <laughs> <laughs> See, I'll let you into a secret. It might not be. It might not be. <laughs> Shh. You'll give the game away, honestly. God. Hey, did you uh, notice, by the way, there's something missing off that cover? Uh, go on, what? The giant yellow stripe that used to exist on the left-hand side that said Commodore 64 is gone. Gone! Oh, it has, hasn't it? Yeah. yeah replaced it by a little red flag that says Britain's top monthly for Commodore software. Changes. Things, yes. times, they are Turn, changing. Yes, the Amiga's already having its weighty impact. Yeah. Also, as well, do you see in the bottom right as well? Come inside for a taste of fear. I thought you meant the barcode. Yes, I do see that. Yeah, so yeah, that's obviously that it's the magazine Fear, isn't it? Which came oh, out around this, which was released around God, this time. Yeah, do you remember that? Newsfield's Fear magazine. Yeah, I used I had a load of them still. I gave them all to a friend recently because I didn't want them anymore. Yeah, they burned um, them in the garden, by the way. They just, <laughs> they just didn't want you to have them. <laughs> Why did so you build my magazines? So you couldn't ever have them again. Oh, oh. seems very, very harsh. I gave them to you as a gift. <laughs> I did give them to you as a gift. Um, yeah, so uh, this I, I quite like this cover. Yeah, it's a good. It's back. It's better than that Pac-Man thing, isn't it? It's, it's way better than back on form. It's. Uh, I'm pretty sure that he, he lost interest with the background. <laughs> it's a card just make it blurry yellow green and brown that'll do that'll do yeah do you to put all the emphasis on the front cover and it's some yeah it's quite gooey in it so it's yes. nice but yeah it's a better it's it's, it's not it's, it's good it's all right it's alien yeah, syndrome well drawn well realized well envisaged good alien bug things yeah and i do like that barcode as well it's a nice barcode yes. exceptionally good mm, absolutely thick thick black lines yes very alternative um, yeah. there you go that's the cover if i sound a little bit echoey it's because my room is pretty empty because i'm moving house um so i'm so you know gray will do the magic that he does but if i don't sound as lovely as i normally do it's because yeah. of that yes you'll sound all echoey and everything but that's okay i could assure you i can having Watching the video of Adrian right now, he is not in a toilet or anything like one. No, At least I don't think he is. I can only see him from the top up. Uh, that's good. Good cause, actually. <laughs> Sick and horrific SF violence is going all, on down below. All I'm wearing is flip-flops. Ah, not on my feet. Ah. Hey! <laughs> Absolutely. So, you don't want to know where that the, the little thing between the two front toes is going. Separation. I'm just thinking. No. <laughs> oh, took, it took ages oh. to wedge it in. Painful chafe. Painful. Um, <laughs> should we get on with some games? Not that we want to. Help, but well, shall we? Yeah, all right. <laughs> <laughs> all right. Should we? Let's get into some games let's then do quickly. It. Let's, let's do, do it. it. Let's dive into this morass. Stay a while. Stay forever. And Graham, you've got the uh, the big one this month. Well, is it the second greatest game of all time? Impossible Mission 2. Take us on a journey. Well, is it the most important second best game, whatever? Uh, all right, let's just go. Let's, let's, let's go with and have a look, shall we? Let's take a peek. From Epics, of course, was the gold medal. When was I can't think what the last gold medal was, but I did actually find a really useful website that lists all the gold medals and silver medals and everything. I think I've uh, you must have you must have come across that before. But anyway, uh, uh, so this look. is a gold medal. I put it in the in our sh- wonderful show notes agenda thing. So there's a link there too. I've just put, I can't remember oh. where I put it now, but it's in there somewhere. Anyway, okay. so this is programmed by Nova Trade Software Studios. Now these are an interesting bunch, actually. Um, they're a Hungarian software development team, and they pretty much. They did. They've done. They subsequently did loads and loads of other games. And in fact, 
later down the line, much later down the line, they kind of specialized in doing loads of Sega Mega Drive games. So these were, I don't know if, where the Iron Curtain lived or where it was landed at this point, but I think since these were in Hungary at the time, I think it was, no, these are very different times in the 80s to what they're like now. But anyway, so we've got a load of Hungarian developers who later went on to do Echo the Dolphin and loads of other stuff as well. Mm. So now this is where it gets complicated because I am not great at reading out complicated names, especially when they're in borderline Klingon. Um, <laughs> but so we've got Istvan Cersei. I'm going to say them as I see them. If I'm wrong or I'm pronouncing it wrong or whatever, I am sorry. I'll go back in time and correct myself. Uh, Zoltan Toth, which is one of my favorite developer names of all time now. Soon, Zoltan. Soon. <laughs> Just Zoltan Toth did it. And Mihaly Kensler. Um, there's also Zoltan Kazens- Kazisani. I can't even say it. Kaniz- Kanisai. Josef Sensky. Ivan Cersei. Istvan Bodnar. Ferenc. 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 Ruska. And of course, Zoltan Toth is in there. This, I'm not going to read any more of them out because my tongue's actually hurting. But those are the guys that did this. Um, and I'm going to come to some really interesting quirks about the, re- the music, by the way, for this was Chris Grigg. Good old Chris Grigg. I'm sensing he may not have been of the same fold. I don't know. I'm just kidding. Anyway. <laughs> Probably not. What music? But this was released on, apparently, this IBM PC versions, Atari ST, Apple II. There's a whole bunch. And these guys did all of that. All of them. The one thing that's important to establish at this point in time is that none of those people, none of them were involved with Impossible Mission 1. Not a single one. And none of the mm. development team from Impossible Mission 1 had anything to do with this, okay? Okay. And I'll come back to why that's kind of important in a bit. Um, so, uh, Professor Elvin Attenbender. Um, you remember Elvin? Mm-hmm. Um, you know, once he went around to his house, you were there forever, that kind of thing. Um, he has become a dominant, like he wasn't before, but he's become a dominant threat to world peace and security, I guess again. He lives a secluded life inside a nine-tower complex in Los Angeles, um, which is a central tower surrounded by eight further towers. Um the robots, computers, and codes expert is believed to have infiltrated and raided the world's banks to finance his weird operations and ne- ne- nefarious deeds, and has spent at least the last four years in a desperate bid to perform cyber attacks, as we now know them, um, on military installations around the world. His goal, potentially destroying himself and everything else in the world with missiles. Bad, bad stuff indeed. He intends to blow up more than half the world, at least, and... <laughs> The relevance of that is something that nobody else but Adrian will know. Um, Not the world. Oh. <laughs> uh, <laughs> so then uh, it, then his ultimate bad news arrives. A priority alpha flash one. I've had loads of those before. Um, you, field agent Bravo 29, as you're labeled in the instructions, or is it agent 4125, according to Zap and the rest of the known universe? Let's just assume that it's a field agent, whomever. Let's just call him agent. Um, let's it just call him the, the agent. The agent. Um, You've got eight towers to enter Ariel, uh, Ariel and El, to El, Elvin Attenbender's Tower Fortress, avoid his robots, assemble security combinations for each tower, recover musical sequences and tie them together into a full melody to reach um, Attenbender's central control room and neutralize him, or there will be a scheduled missile launch and doom. Doom. It's no small order, that's for sure, but you are part of Cobra Blue, which I thought sounded like a very dubious... Um, Adult film brand, but there you go. <laughs> Something you I know? Rent, rent from Flicks in about 1988. <laughs> yeah, I was going to say, yeah, it is, yeah. At the top shelf. Yeah, oh, it's, that one, it's, it's a Cobra Blue. Yeah, Tonight next down Cobra, Cobra Blue. Cobra Blue. <laughs> <laughs> Up close and personal with... Um, anyway, uh, so she you... takes the pleasures from the Cobra. <laughs> 
advanced character, man. Um, so anyway, uh, so you're part of Cobra Blue, which is a top secret surveillance and counter-terrorist operation directed against Professor Elvin Atambende. Indeed, Cobra Blue Phase 1 was to closely monitor the professor, keep an eye on his hacking and his cyber attacks and such. Let's just keep an eye on him and see what he's doing. We don't mind if he's built a nine-story mega tower in the middle of <laughs> yeah. Los Angeles. Don't worry about that. And, and filled it full of only robots. Don't you worry about that. It, Willy Wonka worked out all right. I think that was the... You know, he had a sideways you know, elevator. He did? Well, he had yeah, he had a lot going on there. Um, so when he started to exact any of his wild threats, the priority Alpha 1 flash, uh, the Alpha Flash 1 message would happen. And that meant they switched over to Cobra Blue Phase 2, which I'm pretty sure is the name of... It sounds like a name of a dodgy film, but there you go. Um, Field agents assigned to Cobra Blue Phase 2 will immediately penetrate Elvin's complex. Sounds awful. Um, Arrest Elvin, if possible, or kill him if he resists, and neutralize his computer systems. This again, like I said, this is all going to be done within eight hours. That's the story where it begins. In the manual, by the way, you get a whole psychological profile of, of it reads a bit like Doctor that moment in um, um, the Doctor Evil goes to the therapist in, in one of the uh, what oh, do you call uh, the movies uh, uh, Austin Powers Austin movies Powers. yeah where he's, no, where, he's, where he's he had luge lessons and his dad teased him when he said he invented the question mark pretty standard really <laughs> reads a bit like that and then there's an in depth uh, description of the, his house it's really weird actually does he, run, does he run round it when he gets a bit wet outside <laughs> well keep up his exercise regime. It's just, just like Eric of robots. It's Connell Cochran. It's Connell Cochran. I'm telling you. Anyway, wouldn't surprise me. So, so that's the that's the that's the, the outlay essentially, and it's not dissimilar to the first game really. But anyway, to succeed at Impossible Mission Two and to prevent the world from being destroyed, you as the agency's field agent, that's you, that is, must reach several mm. objectives. They are first, you must assemble the three-digit security combination for each tower. At the same time, avoid and fend off. Avoid. Uh, Elvin's robots using his own security system to help you. One of those security systems, by the way, is a light switch. I don't call that security. I think that's just a light switch, but that's just me. Anyway. (laughs) Second, you must locate and open Elvin's safes and recover the musical sequences locked inside. There are six unique pieces of music and two duplicate pieces. All right. Third, you must Mm. tie together these musical sequences into a full melody that will open the express elevator doors to Elvin's central tower control room. Finally, you must find the correct computer terminal in Elvin's control room that will disarm the missile launch codes before they destroy you and half the world. <laughs> um, you score points by entering towers, exploring rooms, finding passcode numbers, and reaching the central control room. The sooner you reach the control room, the more points you earn. Okay, we all clear on the mission. So that's the mission. That's what you've got to do. There are all your objectives. That's quite a lot of things to think about in this game mm-hmm. with a time limit. Um, so you've got various different rooms in this, similar to um, Impossible Mission. So in the elevator sections, which is pretty principally the same as they are in the first game, you push uh, joystick uh, forward or back to go up or down, push the joystick left to right to enter the corridors. Same stuff as the first game. Uh, in the corridors, uh, again, like I said, you can just run off the edge of the screen. That will enter the different rooms. The rooms are all interconnected as they were in the first game. In fact, the principal control of getting between the rooms and navigating the elevators is the same. The only real difference, of course, is now you've got eight towers to unlock. You've got to, there's certain towers you can't get into until you've unlocked them with the, the key code thing. When you get into the rooms, obviously the control systems differ slightly. You push the joystick left to right to jump, uh, to move. You've got that epic forward flip again. You've also got a crouch, which mm-hmm. I don't think you had in the first game. No. Um, um, so you can jump up to high levels, somersault, somersault over gaps and all that kind of thing. Pulling the joystick back, say, puts him into a crouching position. 
says in the instructions, he needs to be in this position to lay a time bomb or a mine. I have to be in that position to lay a time bomb or a mine of my own, I tell you. <laughs> Is he the guy um, out of a nightmare? <laughs> <laughs> Who's trapped in I can, only, I can only lay bombs if I, if I crouch. I need to crouch, okay? All right. <laughs> That's not just, a bomb. No. <laughs> you dirty, dirty man. Oh, it stinks. <laughs> oh, that robot. stinks. Oh, the robot's like, why? Why was I programmed to <laughs> just, smell? It just goes off the edge. It goes off the edge. Uh, <laughs> just see them all just drop off the edge. Uh, why did you make the robot scream? Anyway, um, on lifting and sliding platforms, which you are, um, <laughs> you have lifts and slides and the levels, not the slides that you might think of in the, like the traditional you know, <laughs> go to the park and go on the slide that we talked about before. These ones just go, instead of going up or down, there's things that go left and right. So there's there's that. Um, and again, you control all these with the joystick and you get on them and you push up and down. It's all pretty explanatory and it's all not dissimilar to mm-hmm. the first game. As you explore Vince Tower Complex, you can check your location in the rooms you've explored with your pocket computer. Pocket computer, very popular in the uh, in these games, these pocket computers. They were. Um, the pocket computers display appears at the bottom of your screen anytime your agent is in a corridor or elevator. A map of the current tower and connections to the two neighboring towers show in the center. A dot of light, as it's described, shows your location in the tower. Any room you have entered appears in black. An overhead view of the tower complex appears to the left of the map display in the pocket computer. It, too, has a light showing your location, as well as a lighted display of your current tower number. All handy stuff to know. Do you know where you're at? Your pocket computer not only locates you in Elvin's complex, it also helps you assemble the passcode that lets you move from tower to tower. Also, with its built-in tape recorder, now I'm sensing this device is possibly made by um, uh, Amstrad, the way it's combining all of these handy features. Um, <laughs> so with your Amstrad tape recorder. Alan Michael Sugar, here, you're fired. What would he, why would he be? Another that- visitor. <laughs> That's the worst Alan Sugar impression I've ever done, and, and it will never happen again. I um, maybe maybe jump a little. <laughs> it, like, it's like that. Um, so it's got a built-in tape recorder, which is what you use to put the musical sequence together to get into Elvin's control tower, central tower. Um, it also shows you how much time you have left before Elvin destroys half the world. So, you know. <laughs> so the principal, the principal motion of the game is the same. You enter rooms, and there's a whole bunch of stuff in the rooms which you have to search for to find all the various bits. And then you p- you kind of put these pieces together. There's a variation mm-hmm. of a theme here. The rooms themselves contain different combinations of up to six different kinds of robots. Six different kinds. Now, mm. I don't think there was that many. I remember there being two kinds in the first game. The Zizzy Zizzy left and right ones. They had different characteristics, but it was the same robot design. And then there was the ball, wasn't there, I think? There was this ball that floated about. Possibly. I can't remember. Possibly a giant squid. Maybe. In this one, you've got a basic security sentry bot, which is the standard one that you see in all the rooms. The mine bots, um, they crawl our rooms and lay mines, obviously. He's not named these very excitedly, has he? Um, pest bots, relatively harmless but annoying. I know a few of them. Um, they may be encountered in any tower. They constantly ride the lift, platform, flat, the lift platforms and mess up the player's lift platform strategy. Did you enter this game, Adrian, with a lift platform strategy? You should have. You should have. No. They're not dangerous, though, pest bots. Squat bots. Now, we've already mentioned these. (laughs) (laughs) They've got really Um, powerful legs. (laughs) (laughs) Uh, They are small robots that squat onto the floor, on the floor like a turtle. Turtles don't squat anyway. Just let's not even go into the logistics of why they've described (laughs) these. With good timing, an agent can step on a squat bot and use it as a stepping stone to leap higher in the air, or as I repeatedly did, kill myself with them. But they yeah, yeah, yeah. 
There's bash bots. Uh, these are kind of a bulldozer one that just kind of push you around. They're quite annoying, actually, because normally they just push you off the level you just came into, which is really stupid and annoying. I'll just, I want to be in there. Let me in. <laughs> and then there's the suicide bot. I didn't encounter any of these in my travels. Did you? Um, no. Apparently, they uh, they just leap, you know, they just... They, <laughs> they, sense can, it, they, they says, can smell what you've dropped. <laughs> <laughs> exactly. Well, it says, a suicide bot senses when a man is near and leaps to its death trying to take the man with him. It's just, wow. That seems to me, if you're going to build all of these robots, that's the one that's a bit of a waste of resources. Like, we're spending, you know, £7 million a month on these bloody suicide bots. They just keep jumping off the side of the lids. Killing themselves. <laughs> they don't have a, so, yeah, many, so much wastage. They so don't have much a long, uh, every time we go to try and fix them, they just grab a, grab the engineer and throw themselves off the building. <laughs> We're losing engineers <laughs> and robots so, at a rate of knots. Look, I didn't. I never agreed to them being powered by gravy. Can we change the uh, power supply? Because there's, there's something wrong with them. <laughs> Impossible. They also sneeze. Um, so um, the loss of, of each of the rooms, obviously, aside from the robots that you know, thwart your path, um, there's also lifts, as I've said, and s- platforms. And of course, there's objects you've got to search in all sorts of different ways. Each Apparently, each tower is kind of themed um, to uh, Mr. Atombender's kind of needs in certain ways. One of them, for example, is a gymnasium. And it's just, if you read the description of the tower, it's really stupid. It's just a justification <laughs> for some of the random crap that you're going to yeah. come across in the rooms. It's needless. It doesn't need it anyway. Each of the objects uh, searching can yield one of four things. Nothing, a passcode number, a security terminal command icon, or an extension of time. 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 Uh, so the rooms also contain handy security terminals, where, which allow you to use the command icons if you've collected them. And they can operate different functions in the room with the symbols. So this nest of symbols appears when you connect to these computer things. One of them is a, obviously a lift platform reset platform um resets there's ones that go left and right the up and down there's an electric plug which temporarily deactivates robots the light bulb which turns on the lights there's a time bomb which you can pick up obviously in a mine where you can squat and lay mines if you want to do that so that's how you kind of use utilize your pickups that you might have and once you can navigate the rooms and collect passcode numbers you can assemble them in your pocket computer as i've said when you select the number button icon the tower complex map disappears and you get this kind of three windows um, it's a very simple computer, this, considering it's called a computer. It's just got three buttons on it, hasn't it? But anyway, mm. you, the idea is that you kind of assemble the three-digit passcode using the numbers that you've um, previously gathered from all the various things you've searched. And I found it quite a faffy process. I don't know if you did. I even got to the next tower, but I found it quite a faffy process to do. I just I got quite confused by what it was trying to ask me to do. I don't know why. It's assemble numbers, but it just seemed overtly difficult to do. I don't know why. Anyway, you get sort of little controls. You move the hand up and down that you get, and you press the fire button. You can change the numbers and... When it's supposed to light up as found when you get the right one. I never got that. I never got it. Anyway. When you've collected one or more of the musical sequences, which you will find in the various safes in the level, um, you can play them on your computer, and you then you've got to sort of assemble them into some kind of musical sequence that enables you to get to um, Atom Bender's sort of final destination. Now, I never got that far, I have to tell you. Nowhere near. Um, I never even got out of Tower 1, let alone through the other eight. Mm. Uh, other seven, sorry. So, no chance. So, but from what I could gather, you have to basically, you can play this little sequence of music back and you have to assemble them into a sort of more melodic sequence when you do that. It opens up the secret elevator or the express elevator to the control room. And then what really struck me was something that was a little bit odd. Now, I never got to this and I never checked it out. Maybe someone of our patrons can correct me if, but from what it describes, you're presented in the final screen with a whole load of difficult security robots and three terminals to choose from, only one of which disarms the missiles. The other two kill you instantly. Now, it doesn't indicate there that there's any kind of 
security system or anything. It's just one in three chance that you're never going to do the game after all of that. That seems to me kind of punitive, but I don't know for sure because I never got there. Is it just that it kills you like it does normally in the game? So if you've, as long as you've got more than 12 minutes left, it won't... Because you'd lose six minutes of it's, death, it's, don't it, you? The, the indication was that you die dead because the missiles get launched. Well, that would be stupid. Yeah. <laughs> That's what... But I never got to the end to find out and I couldn't be bothered after running and the screaming and the zzz, <laughs> I couldn't be bothered yeah, to no. do it. So um, unlike... So, so... That's kind of the way the game plays out. You move from room to room. The view is like Impossible Mission. You see it from the side on, kind of platform style, really. Graphics have been altered, and I'll come to all of that in a second. But that's how it plays. It plays exactly like the first one with with added stuff. So um, unlike most computer game sequels of the time, Impossible Mission 2 did not use any code from the original game. None. That's kind of crazy, considering how similar it is. Yeah, they did it all by eye. (laughs) All of that code. And all of the graphics, everything in that game is completely redrawn, That's including really the animated guy. Including the animated guy. That's not the original Epics guy. That's a new guy. Wow. Mad, isn't it, that? That is crazy. Um, so it's completely new graphics, completely new code. Graphics are all done in something, a special tool they built to do it called Film Director. So they built everything from scratch. It's amazing, really. And like I said, these are the guys that went on to do loads of Mega Drive games. Quite famously, Echo the Dolphin was the one that stuck out. But there was there's tons of them. You can look at the because they changed their name. They're not called the... Um, the uh, same name as they were for this. So they're not called the Nova Trade Software Studios. They've changed their name over time. But if you go onto one of the many websites, you can find quite a lot of interesting information out about those guys. They went on to do some really good stuff. Mm. Really good stuff. So where does that leave us then with all of this game? Well, um, there's good things here. Um, and those things, I think, really are the good things that were good about Impossible Mission 1. So the thematics, the game premise, and the design, and the overarching sort of secret agent infiltrating all of those tropes are all well used and it feels like a nice enriching world to be part of in that respect that part's quite good it reminds me of i mean i didn't like saboteur but it reminds me of that kind of vibe it's got that kind of isolated you against the you know the it reminds me also of a, of a film thing that we remember that film synopsis we devised about um oh, yeah. aliens a sequel yeah. to aliens with the tower building it reminded me a little bit of that i don't know why not that we'd influenced i'd never really played this game prior to this podcast i'd seen it and i was aware of it but I, I always liked the first one and I never never really liked, you know, I just it didn't, the first one is such a long-winded game to get through that I thought, I can't think I can cope with another one. Um, so there's complex objectives for sure with this. Uh, and of course it says impossible in the title, so there's a lot going on. And you've got the, some of the tools and skills under your control. So everything feels like you have control of it. It's nothing, there's no bugs in here or anything like that. In many ways, it's a kind of timeless game design because it's just a platform game, really, with some extra added funky bits. Um, and they did a wise thing to keep to that core gameplay and, and, and those things that worked from Impossible Mission 1. However, it has the dynamics of that, but it does not have the look and feel properly. Um, and it's amazing that they did the job they did in what with the way they did it, but the graphics feel less defined and oddly coloured. Doesn't feel as a co- it doesn't feel as coherent a space this as the first game. It's too jumbled. It's too bitty in terms of the lift designs. They seem to be strewn more than planned. The rooms don't feel as a as coherent a puzzle to solve. There's too much going on. The key to the first game was the simplicity of the rooms and the robot placements, and not that many of them. So there's not too much in a room. They weren't too busy. Just a spattering of obstacles, enough to keep you invested in it but not throwing everything at you, including the kitchen sink. Then you stood a chance of getting to the objects to search them, and sometimes it was difficult, but you could more often than not work your way through. In this game, the rooms are festooned with robots and lifts and sliders and pushers and shovers and dumpers and poopers and all the different kinds of things that are in this. Each room seems to be crammed with loads of stuff and complexity. 
some of the lifts, some of the rooms you go in in Impossible Mission 1 just have a couple of lifts and two or three floors to navigate with robots that might look over their shoulders and suddenly shoot at you and or just rotate. And that, that was the one of the key things about that game was the robots, they were dangerous, but they were dangerous in different ways, but there was a simplicity, simplicity to them. Um, but here, like I said, there's so much going on. Um, it's getting to search some of the objects is an absolute bloody nightmare in this. It's really hard to try and get to those objects because there's so much in your way, whether it's holes you fall down, whether it's turtle jumper things that push you up and kill you, whether you get shoved off of ledges, whether the robots zap you or follow you around. There's just so much going on that it's hard to try and... It's hard, it's a hard game to read. You need to be able to read the design dynamic quickly for a game like this to work. And so less in a game like that is always more. And with Impossible Mission 1, that minimalism is what made it successful for me. I'm not saying I'm not for everybody. Certainly for me, it did. This leaves you frustrated visually. It makes some of the rooms next to impossible to navigate correctly because there's no clear route to it. Um, it's more luck than judgment when you sort of find your way halfway in the room. You think you sort of, you can't find your place. What The way back doesn't seem as coherent and as, as logical. So this is losing what Impossible Mission 1 worked so hard to set up. That simplicity and the tower and everything else, that's what it needed. That's what it was. And let's remember that the first one was also not all, I know he had, you know, weirdly he had bookcases in his, whatever it was, lab, I guess. But this has got some real weird strewn objects all over the shop. And I don't know, it feels to me like it had the look, but not the soul of the original. And so what we end up with is a weird feeling that the extension of the franchise is simply nowhere near as accomplished or interesting. Add to that, for me, a weird feeling of it being dated. I mean, game design had moved on from Impossible Mission 1 quite a lot. IM1 is an, is an early on game. And while that was successful at that time, there are ways to enhance that without cramming all the robots in and just throwing everything in, including with all those weird color schemes they chose, which after a while kind of hurt the eye. I mean, there's so much light blue and yellow and purple in this game. It's just, nah, it's just the color schemes are a bit bit, bit wild. So while uh, while Impossible Mission 1 is, is rightly a landmark game for the C64 of that time, especially for, like I say, for when it was released, in 1988, this needed to offer something more, not just a bad facsimile of the stuff from the first game crammed into more of the closer space, with a lot more complicated logic across multiple towers. In the end, what we have here is a garish, over-busy, underwhelming game that leans on the tropes from a better game in a hope that it can carry that off. Unfortunately for me, it did not. And I have to say, second best game on the C64, not non your Nelly, mate. Nowhere near. But what about you? Wow. Um, yeah, I don't know. It's an, it, these, I mean... That, it's a hard one. This, there's, there's loads. I think you know they're not for me. I think we said. I think I said this back in the episode zero stuff, and we actually looked at this. And I said at the time, I, I, was, I never got on with the original. I found them hard to control and just hard to navigate. Mm, I've right. always done it. You hated the way you somersaulted. <clears throat> I did. It's too big. Too big. It's too much. Um, I mean, there is loads to like here. I thought you know, I actually thought the design was actually it was okay. I thought the touches that made the first game they're here and they, they look good. And you know, the Running Man and the the colours, whatever. I don't know. It's bigger. It adds loads of new things to the mix. I think you're probably right in that maybe it's one too many things. It's, it does still have that core loop of running, jumping, searching, figuring out puzzles and avoiding the pesky robots. That's all there. But it's just, it's still not for me. I can kind of admire these games from afar. I get what they're doing. I think they're very slick. They're well-crafted, well-designed to, to mostly. It's just something that doesn't click with me. And I think, I don't know, I find them, I put here aimless, but I'm not sure aimless is the right word. There's just, they're too devoid of help. I, I just become lost in a sea of rooms and objects. And I find this in the first one. And stuff. I just don't really know where to start from in order to get a handle on it. So for me, these 
pair, pair, both of these games, if ever there was an argument for a game needing a tutorial, these games are it. Because they're esoteric, yeah. and they're weird, and they're odd. And the puzzles in them are, are bizarre and strange. And two go, no, they're not. They're dead obvious. They're not. They're not obvious. No, and the level design changes each time as well, remember? Each yeah, time it does, you start yeah. it. I mean, and these have rooms. I mean, and this one as well didn't have uh, entrances from the main lift corridor. These has, this has rooms that are linked by lifts within them, doesn't it? So you can go up. So, yeah, that's right. So the first one, I don't think, had that. The, the rooms were all self-contained. No, no, they're all independent. Yeah, that's yeah, whereas right. in this one, rooms link from one up to the next, and sort of, so your entrances and exits are all over the place in this one, they can be. So that adds further dynamic and further you know, trial and error trying to navigate these spaces, which are hard in and of themselves. And it's just tricky. It's just hard. And I don't know. I think if this had just come with a, a simple opening area with a basic puzzle explaining what you need to do rather than find all these music cues, find all these numbers, find all this, rotate all these, do all these things, split all those, there's six of these, there's two, that's too much. I can't I can't cope with all these different things in a time scale that feels punitive every time you die. So you've got less and less time. So you, I mean, it's that thing in it, you, you're going to need a perfect run because if you die a few times, you start panicking and panicking leads to more deaths and you might as well just quit because you're not going to finish it. Um, and really, I'd never finish anyway because I had no idea what. I've never had any idea in the impossible missions what exactly I wanted to do. I said yeah. before that in the first one, you know, the puzzle pieces are like those um, jigsaws of beans, um, yeah. where they've got yeah. beans on both sides rotated ninety degrees, and you're like, yeah, you know, they're just the hardest jigsaw puzzles in the world. And that, I always felt like that with these games. I, yeah. I, you know, I find them impenetrable. I just end up wandering around, jumping and searching, but I never really yeah. know what for. It just becomes empty yeah. meandering, and I soon get very bored. I appreciate yeah, I the mean, fact they're very clever. I get it. There's a lot of design here, and if you get it, okay, they're just not Samples again, aren't they? It's the same samples from the first game, audio samples. So, yeah, know, yeah, yeah. He's still in there, you know, another visitor and all that lot. So that's got the, that's what I mean. It's haunted by the tropes of the first game, I feel, rather than embracing them. And, of course, I forgot to mention that when you die, you actually lose time, don't you, in this? You don't lose lives, you lose time. Yeah, you lose six minutes, and you've got an eight-hour timer, I think, haven't you? So... Yeah, that's, that's correct. That, that's the thing. I think we've seen that in other games as well, where you lose time for dying, and it's fair enough yeah. if that, that's the case. So you can keep going, and you have, you know, but you could work out how many lives you have. If you lose six minutes, and you've got what ten an hour, so you've got eighty lives. So, but I don't know. It just feels I don't know. It just I, don't, I just don't get them. I, I never have. Even back then, I never got the Impossible Mission games, and I never will. They're just not for me, which is fair enough. Can't that's be for everyone. That's fair. Um, that's but yeah. I don't know. I don't know. I know that they're loved, and I know that they're well regarded. I get it. I mean, gold medal. Yeah, I'm not saying that they shouldn't be well regarded for the construction of them. I'm just saying that this is this is a, a a version of the first game that lacks some of the things that made the first game so special. I think just because it's the first well, maybe, game exists. Or maybe it just. I don't know. I yeah, maybe that's maybe it. Maybe it just it includes too much of the first game. Maybe they they emulate yes, it too closely. Actually, yeah. So it's yeah. like you wanted something a little bit more. I mean, the, the, like you said, we've seen better sprites now. So okay, the Running Man is still well animated, but we could have done a bit more. Could have done a you know a bit more color on him. You and know, he's still got really loud shoes on in that corridor. I mean, come on, you meant to be infiltrating the building. He could hear you a mile off going. You run around now. Yeah. Take the take the tappets off your shoes. Really are brothel creepers needed. <laughs> they are they really are oh, there we go and it's a multi-load isn't it as well this yes yes it is yeah whereas the first one was all singular load there you go. much bigger game though this one much bigger it is but bigger is not always better and also by the way as a final hurrah just when you get a moment check out the different variations of the cover and the advert because the US cover for it is crap 
Oh, that's the Whereas picture. The, is that the picture the I've, used for our, good. I've used for our image for the actual this uh, episode? Yeah, yeah, yeah. It's that it's bloke like that. and that woman in it. Is that the one? Yeah, yeah, yeah that's the, the one. I laughed my head off when I found that. I went, that's the, that's the picture. Yeah, this that's one. the US cover. It's, it's naff compared to the UK one, which has got the kind of the guy pointing his gun at the. Yeah, US covers uh, are historically terrible. If you yeah, ever want to see good. the worst one, and I know it's not the C64, but it's just on the side, the game Ico, or Ico, ICO on the PlayStation 2. Mm-hmm. The UK version has a really nice sort of Salvador Dali-esque. It's like a sort of Spanish. If you look at it, it's like Spanish sort of old yeah, style. Dali-like, thing, but, yeah, it's not, Dali-like. But it's, yeah. not, it's not quite Dali. More like it's not Salvador Dalek. <laughs> it's, it's, it, I can't remember the artist's name, but if you saw it, you go, oh, yeah, I recognize that. It's like big sort of structures and really flat colors and really nice. And, and it's like two little figures in the corner sort of thing with the characters in the game because you're exploring this castle. The American version has a kid with a, with a bat. <laughs> It's terrible. It looks yeah, like some well, shitty action game. Doesn't sound like that. That sounds like it shouldn't be. That no, shouldn't it shouldn't be. be. It shouldn't be. Anyway, there we go. That's Impossible Mission 2 is what it is. There we go. Not gold medal in our eyes, but there you go. Let's move on. I'm sure the next one will be awesome. <laughs> oh, dear. <laughs> we I feel sorry for you. <laughs> uh, I don't. I, always, I prefer the fun ones. We saw the crap bit of this the other week. Lee Enfield in the Tournament of Death, where a sad-faced knight looked <laughs> forlorn at a castle behind him. We didn't Ironic. know why, and we didn't know why. He probably played this game. Yep. <laughs> That's probably what happened. So Lee Enfield is not Lee Enfield. Lee Enfield is Bob Moraine, or at least he seems to be everywhere else in the world. France, Germany, Spain, everywhere like that. We just get him as Lee Enfield somewhere. I don't know what it is. It's like maybe what we saw with Flash Gordon, because he was Captain Zap in America. But um, Yeah, maybe. Bob Moraine has had a name change, and for some reason, he's now named after an early 20th century rifle for reasons that I don't know, because that's what a Lee Enfield is. It's an old rifle. Why would you name him? <laughs> they were looking at, what have we got? Oh, Lee Enfield. They be. don't know what they're doing. <laughs> anyway, whoever is involved in the tournament as death has been back in time to the 13th century castle of the Count Savoy. Um, yeah, so whoever is involved in the tournament of death, whether it's Lee Enfield or Bob Moraine, they've gone, they've been sent back in time to the 13th century castle of the Count Savoy. That would be much better if it was Savaloy, would it? Count Savaloy? Oh, but that's just me, probably. In order to save the Holy Shroud, which is the shroud, I believe, that the body of Christ lay in before his resurrection, according to the Bible. Um, there you go. The shroud is under threat from the evil yellow shadow, which sounds like a fungus. It sounds like they haven't they haven't, they haven't put it away, they haven't stored it properly, and so yeah, it's get a bit of a, get, get a bit of mold. <laughs> so they you know whatever. He's got designs on becoming pope and perverting the course of history. Some time travel shenanigans. So he's gone back to get the shroud Dodgy. to become pope and pervert the course. Of, I don't understand. Whatever. This was developed and released by Infograms. I couldn't find who who was behind this. I did find. I found a link to a really obscure website interview with the guy, but I wasn't sure if it was him. I'll find it again and I'll post it in the show notes. Yeah, do that. The only well, the only I name will. I can find attached to it is the music, and that's by George Brandt or Hog Brandt. But, you know, he does another game this week as well, for some reason. Anyway, when the game loads, I think you have a title screen. <laughs> I think. I don't know. Some graphics happen in the game window, and then it changes to the main game itself. So I don't know. I don't know. There's a lot about this game that makes no sense. The game itself is played out in the bottom left of the screen. So maybe just over a quarter of the screen. The rest of it is taken up with a picture of what I presume is Lee, Lee, en- uh, Lee Enfield, in some armor, looking sad and forlorn again. The evil yellow shadow, I believe, is at the top. But he's blue, so I don't know. Um, I don't understand. Uh, then there's Lee's name <laughs> in massive letters, just in case we forget. And in between his name, he's split up. He's got a yellow silhouette of a running man for for some reason. I don't understand. There's also a, 
a castle, which I presume is the castle we're supposed to be in. None of this means anything. It's all static. It never changes. It's just there. It's just filling up screen space because the, uh, the playing area is so small in the bottom left-hand corner. Um, the playing area itself has two bars on either side. I think the one on your right is your health, and the other is a complete and utter mystery. There's no indication to what any of these bars are. You just, I think it's health because you kind of lose it at some point. Um, at this point, you're going to be hearing the awful music that winds along constantly and does not fit the game in any way, shape, or form. Um, I'm not sure what game it would suit, but it's not this. It's not this. Not like this. You find yourself in a yellow room. <laughs> it's like, um, and you're a big blobby blue sprite. I don't know what else to describe it. A big blobby no, blue sprite. There's no easy sprite. way of describing that thing. There's <laughs> a big blobby blue sprite that it can walk around. I think the rooms are supposed to be a bit pseudo 3D, kind of like what we saw in Nightmare, but but it's worse. It's a lot, lot worse. It's even worse. The background's a single color high res. The sprite is a blocky nightmare. It's just awful. So none of these fit together. Moving, You can move left, right, up or down, but this sends you scurrying across the screen for a fixed amount of space. It's not, you just tap it and he goes, ah, ah, just legging it around. You're like, what? what is this thing about? The animation is dreadful. The blockiness is off the charts. The, the control is not subtle. The, there are some exits to the right, maybe to the left. It's hard to tell because going through them is a traversal horror show. Um, you have to move up and then jab right at the right point to try and get him to go through. As you try and make your, if you do, you'll just get to another horrible yellow looking room. As you make your way through them from room to room, what I believe are supposed to be the bears, because I think they were on the advert, blocky, indistinct bears and some green things will appear and start to lay the smackdown on you. This kicks off combat where you hold fire and waggle the joystick, but nothing seems to happen. You throw punches, but <laughs> I don't know what happened. You're soon dead. And then you find yourself attached to what I think is a rolling boulder as you roll across several screens before, before disappearing, and the game starts again. Uh, this is not so much a game as something that would be used for psychological warfare. I felt like I was a patient in those scenes in Clockwork Orange who had his eyes peeled back and he's forced to look at things. There's not a single saving grace in this game. The characters on the side look bored or pointless. The castle is crap. The graphics are a mash of styles, none of which fit together. The controls are a horror and the enemy sprites are pretty terrible. The combat's stupid and the whole thing costs £9.99. This is £10. This is full price. It's, it's just beyond a joke. This is one of the jankiest broken pieces of crap it's been my misfortune to play for this podcast i'd never heard of it before i was you know i was laughing at the podcast and crying at the game at what point did anyone consider this release worthy worthy and release and for 10 quid there's a comment on lemon 64 from someone called plume that says it's so bad it smells of shame which made me laugh loads and i echo that and then some <laughs> what a takedown that is <laughs> So I don't know who Plume is, but well done. If you listen to this, well done. That's well a done. great line. Well done. Well done. It's so bad, it smells of shame. And <laughs> everything I was going to write about this was just summed up in that one phrase, because it does. Yep. This is awful. This is simply one of the worst things it's been my misfortune to ever cast my eyes upon. For £10, this is just, you might as well just stab yourself in the face because you'll enjoy it more. <laughs> what about you? <laughs> this is uh, my first statement for this thing. This is a dreadful abomination. A bad, bad thing. Yeah. <laughs> There's nothing good about this. Nothing. From the second it begins to the moment when you kill it, it's dreadful. Ugly, badly drawn graphics, crappy animated, buggy, clashy sprites, naff scrolling of shoddy, ugly, badly drawn backgrounds, naff sound, no redeemable or identifiable game. It is all horrible and it is all bad. <laughs> 
This is out and out a rip-off and easily one-off, if not the worst games of all time on the Commodore 64. It takes a special kind of terrible to enter the uber-shit gang of less than 10%. You're in the same company as Jet Strike Mission, Further Adventures of Alice in Videoland and Robobolt. You're in camp with them. But... You know, here we are with another piece of shit demonstrating utter contempt for C64 owners and their money. Um, it defies belief that it's even got released, especially by Infograms, who, you know, a, a pretty well-established French publisher. God um, knows. Terrible, 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 terrible thing. I, I actually couldn't quite believe what I saw when it, when it started. And I was, you can't even use the term playing this game. I'm not sure what you do with no. it. But and apparently in the Atari ST version of this, of Apparently there is one. Mm, um, his I'm facial expression, his facial expressions change. I found <laughs> uh, found a couple of links that I've posted. You like to look in the show notes because I think it never made it to the Amiga. But there's a couple of clips and images in there from the yeah, from look, other yeah. versions, and it's not it's not good. It's but it's not, never going to be, is it? No. Awful. Awful. It's just absolute crap. And this, this is what's get, I don't get. Like, some of these games are getting worse and worse and worse. I was expecting there to be an uptick, not a yeah. downtick. <laughs> No, this is this is getting. I mean, it's getting it's getting bad yeah. now. I mean, we, I thought we've had crappy games have been t- regularly showing up now, but the frequency is becoming quite alarming. And this is just yeah, the, the wow, the, the bottom wow. of the barrel has been scraped so hard that we're through it and we're out the other side. And, and this is <laughs> the barnacles and <laughs> clinging underneath. <laughs> it it smells of shame. It smells of shit and shame. Yeah. So no, I absolutely agree. Um, no, 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 no. Thank God we play these games so you don't have to. You'd never yeah, ever we, want to experience the horror yeah. of that thing. It's crap. Yeah, this is one of the this is one of the few games as well where I was compelled to message you. <laughs> yes. To, to give you a to give you a warning. It was it was like, oh, <laughs> be prepared. Be prepared. I couldn't quite believe it. I couldn't quite believe what I was seeing when it when it arrived. I was like <laughs> And some poor suckers pay ten pounds for this. Oh no, 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 no! Awful. Oh, that's that classic. I'm glad that's out my Ugh. system. Shiver down your spine. It it's really crap, is. Right? Tournament it is. of death. Crap. Let's move on. We've got one more game. This uh, this part, um, and we'll get into that. So Graham, oh, Jesus, <laughs> the Three Stooges are here. <laughs> They're here to make us laugh. Yay. <laughs> make us laugh, Graham. Ba, 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 ba. Bang. 46%. That's no laughing matter, is it? Oh. No, that's enough to make you poke yourself in the eye, as is most of this. 15 quid, 15 pounds, 14.99 this was. Whew. Let's just take a deep breath and prepare ourselves. This is a cinemaware game um, developed by Incredible Technologies. Incredible Technologies did this. Um, I'm guessing there's some, I don't know if they were specific developers for this or they were the people that did cinemaware stuff. Anyway, the manual for this, by the way, is a like a full-blown history of the Three Stooges. I'm not a huge fan of the Three Stooges, but they were, for those that are unaware, an American vaudeville and comedy team active from 1922 until 1970. Best remembered for their 190 short subject films by Columbia Pictures. Their hallmark styles were physical fast and slapstick. And there actually were varying different stooges. Not, I think there was only one that was cons- relatively consistent throughout all of that. Because some of them changed. I think Curly changed a few times. Anyway, you can read all of that stuff if you want to get into the <laughs> three stooges. Burly. Right about it. There was Burly. Kelly, there was Whirly. just different versions of that character. I think one of them died. Well, they all died, obviously, in the end. But um, yeah. I don't think one of them died, you know, during the making of anything slapstick. Like he just slapped him too hard, and that was <laughs> oh, that seemed funnier. But anyway, so this game then, oh, this game, right? So it starts off with a funny 
ish attempt at a funny intro because it starts off as Defender of the Crown with the down, down, dead down. It does. And then he gets, then really the horror begins. That's actually the best bit of the game where it pretended to be another game <laughs> for me. <Sorry. laughs> then you get these, periodically you'll get this in this game, just samples from the Three Stooges. Now, without any context to what these really are and audio bites from the Three Stooges, because the, the their style of comedy is a more visual than audio. So if you were to listen to, I mean, you could listen to the Three Stooges, I suppose, and you'd probably get the idea of what but they were doing. But the sound effects, and it? It's like... Yes. <laughs> yeah, it's just out, out of context. It, it doesn't mean anything. So you just end up with this Defender of the Crown image, then just weird sounds go off. And then there's a countdown. There's, there's loading. And then there's a countdown, cinema style, and then there's more loading. And then the game begins with this sort of a digitized image from and some music from the films, I guess. And then there's more loading. Then there's the three little sprites sort of in the intro sequence. And then there's more loading. And then some development credits and some music image. You can't skip this. or You couldn't skip this bit. I think you can later, but at least I think you can press five buttons to skip the whole thing. But anyway, there's more loading. And the loading is a big thing for this because the loading will drive you absolutely insane. It will. Yes, yes it will. So so this, you'll get the idea that there's loads and loads of loading. So the game itself, uh, Mars Orphanage, is in need of repair and needs to raise $5,000 to pay the mortgage or it will be closed for good. Mr. Fleesom of the Skinflint Finance Corporation has made this very clear. He wants his money in 30 days or he will tear the place down. So our three heroes, Larry, Curly and Moe, said they will raise the money, and if they do so, they will not only save the orphanage, but win the hands in marriage of Mars' daughters. That's Miriam, Leona, and Cynthia. And so there are the tasks. Raise the money for the mortgage, repair the orphanage, and keep enough money out of all of that to marry the daughters. That's a successfully play the game. The game plays out like a weird board game. A weird, annoying board game. <laughs> Before each turn, six icons appear at the top of the screen, which represent the next six squares on the board. The board, by the way, you can see a drawing of uh, is part of the instructions. A uh, hand cycles across them in kind of a random way while can a timer you, sits down. Can you see down. it in game at all? No, can only see it if you've got the instructions. Uh. Um, <laughs> while, uh, so you must press the fire button on the joystick to choose your square. Each square has an icon which equates to a mini game, task, or other random occurrence. Imagine a rolling dice, hence the six part, and when you land on it, you would take a card. That kind of logic if it was a board game. Okay, the icons then. So there's the slapping game, which you can choose. And whenever any of these things happen, by the way, a little interlude <laughs> plays out where the three stooges just go on a little walk with the most grating piece of annoying music known <laughs> to man. And they just walk to their destination. You can't skip it. And it happens every time you choose an icon, they go on this little walk. And then the game that you've picked or whatever icon you've chosen, with the exception of one, will give you the uh, take you to the the event that you've chosen. So there's all these different things can play out. So what are they? Well, so it's the slapping game. In the slapping game, you have to slap Larry and Curly while avoiding them hitting you for 30 seconds. If you hit them and don't avoid it, sorry, if you hit them and they don't avoid it, it moves your hand speed selector towards the slow end of the spectrum. If you aim at them and they duck or they hit you, um, then it heads towards the speedy end. Once your 30 seconds is up, you go back to the board game screen, if you like, and the selector at the top where you choose your squares will either be slower if you've won the thing or faster. That's how that one plays out. That's the slapping game. Mm-hmm. Okay, You'll probably see quite a lot of that and you will be bored of it after maybe the first 57 attempts. So I'm just warning now. <laughs> then after that, one of the other icons is a mousetrap. If you get the mousetrap, it snaps one of your fingers off and you lose a turn. If you lose all of your fingers, it's game over. Believe you, by the time that comes, you want your fingers to be chopped off for real. That's a bit harsh. Not really in the... Uh... 
spirit of Three Stooges, is it? <laughs> no, Fing- none fingers of this being is. chopped off. It sounds like Shaggy's machine. Honestly, it's a bit. Uh, the whole thing's a bit weird. Anyway, you could choose a pie fight. You control all Three Stooges with the aim to uh, earn money by hitting some people in the face with pies. Uh, you could. Tr- <laughs> you control the three on the right of the screen. I say control. <laughs> I say no control. You use the joystick directions to make the Stooges duck the pies thrown by the opposition and the fire button to hurl a pie, which you can only do if, if you're ducked, I think. If you land a pie on them, you get some money. And if they land a pie on you five times, you lose your job and it's back to the board game you go. So the idea is that because you press up to make the top person duck, if you let go of the joystick and it goes back to the middle, the middle person ducks, which is strange. And if you press down, the bottom person ducks. But it's all arbitrary because at, at a certain point you can't figure out because it, it doesn't make any sense to do it that way. No. So when you do it, it people just start bobbing up and down randomly and pies get thrown and eventually you'll either be out or you'll run out of time. If you use, if you use all your pies up, you get a bonus of extra money. But at the end, I never actually managed it. I got a few pies in people's faces. I think the maximum on the end was about $100 or something. That was that. Back to the board game. There's a cracker eating competition. I never actually got that ever in any of the games I played. <laughs> Good. Ever. Never got it. So I, don't, I couldn't tell you what that was like or what it was about. I'm guessing you have to eat crackers. There's a hospital where if you go there, you're, you're in like a line of hospital buggies. It's a top-down view. And you've got to get past the various halls while avoiding running over people. In this, like in all of these games, they're really naff controls. They don't respond very well. And there's no real challenge to that either. You just go upwards, go up. That's it. And and try and avoid stuff, but just go up. The time runs out. It tells you you've got $190 inexplicably and you go back to the board game. It doesn't, there's not really any challenge to that. Same with if you get the boxing. They go for a walk, as in the knowing sequence goes to the walk. Then they get to a boxing match. This is really weird, this. I was expecting it to be an actual boxing match, like I'd be a, one of the three stooges in a boxing match. That might have been quite funny, but it's not that. At the top <laughs> left, there is somebody in a boxing match, but you never see the opponent. On the right is the bell and the countdown. Underneath that, you're one of the three stooges running an obstacle course over hazards, attempting to reach a radio shop to pick up a violin, I think. Then when you get that, this is, you've got to do all this before you, the final bell rings, or the final round, as, as it were. You then got to run back the way you came. But I, uh, um, I don't get it. Because you can jump over things. So you run and avoid and jump things with the joystick controls. But you can't, if you speed up too quick at this particular point, you, you run too far forward of the screen, which means you can't avoid anything, which means you just hit lampposts and trip over dogs and... It's just really stupid. Um, so you, even then, even then, if you don't make it back, I didn't make it back before the bell rang. I still got like two hundred dollars. I was like, "Well, you've got two hundred dollars." I'm like, "For what? What did I do? What was this for?" <laughs> anyway, so you just—it's just not a fun game. That and then there's a trivia <laughs> trivia tab where you can get these trivia questions. We get three multi-choice trivia questions based on your knowledge of the Three Stooges. That's that's bloody niche at best. <laughs> I mean, mine was though. What was what was Mo so and so's so and so's real name in the film so and so so and so? I'm like, how the hell am I going to know that? I wouldn't have known that even if I was into it. Maybe the answers are in the instructions and the endless documentation about the three stages. I don't know. Maybe I just never got them. Then there's a random chance, which is you just get random chances and it can land on anything. A bit of like a you know chance square. Sometimes you get good things, bad things, mixture. You can get land on money, which by the way, I. Would I would advise you don't land on because you just get them going on for a walk. They all stand in a circle over whatever they've got. They all bang their heads. And then one of them bends down and goes, oh, look, we've got $200. And then you do if you've got that again, they'll go on a long walk, bend over, bang their heads. Oh, look, we've got $100. It, it will drive you actually mad to, to do that. <laughs> Continually doing that will send you over the edge. I'm telling you. Because there's partly part of this, by the way, there's in between all of these, there's little, fil- little what they're almost like little filmy bits, but they're not quite. So there's stills. 
where there might be a, a, a stray speech sample. Each one is an independent load. So before you even get to any of these games to play, there's a load and it loads up a screen and someone will go, oh my God, we got a job. And there's really bad, crappy sample. Then there's another 10 minutes and then the game appears. You're like, this is killing the humor. It's just anyway. And then mm-hmm. one of the final ones is an evil banker, which if you get that, it just takes money off you. Mercifully, actually. Yeah. So you're presented with a screen, with a timer, a series of game tasks, a randomizer that you select with, and the window at the bottom with the three stooges in it as little animated sprites. The timer starts, the randomizer flicks, blah, blah, blah. And then by all of this plays out in a way that will drive you slowly mad. This really bloody annoying animation that plays in between the things when they walk and when they do it, and all of those things, everything in between is so annoying. Really, really, really King annoying music in this game that drives you. <laughs> it's one of one point. It's so loud it almost blows your headphones out your ears. Just whenever you don't when, it, when you don't get something. So if you lose, it goes wah wah. But the equivalent of a wah wah wah. It's like oh <laughs> shrill. It's like essentially makes your teeth go oh. Don't like it. And when the items, it's just when the items you've selected to play out on your load or don't load and loading all the mini games with with all of that. It's just, remember this. This is over such a protracted period. I actually downloaded the flash cart version of this thinking that would be might make it a bit better and even that was slow that's not a bleeding cartridge anyway so this is meant to be a slapstick love's letter to the three stooges and their kind of comedy only the format for the mini games and everything about it is completely off the mark the world of the game even though each of the mini games is linked in some way ironically to film sketches so each one of these is tied in loosely to an actual sketch from one of their films not that you'll care or know that um it doesn't entertain or feel funny or even you know just just doesn't work at no point will you get the humor in this it will just drive you mad with loading and endless drilling music and more loading and even that crappy speech and the digitized images add no value it is a frustrating episode of pain the graphics are all oddly over brown with some reasonable attempts at characters but they don't feel very interesting and you don't really control them and even when you do, it's sluggish and slow and meaningless. The minigame graphics are bitty and everything just feels like a massive effort. Everything. The killer blow is the variety of squares because it's hampered. So you'll end up doing the same thing over and over again, purely by chance. That is just so fucking dull and annoying. It drove me mad. I must have got the muse, got the, got the, uh, the uh, dollar sign four or five times in a row. Can, there is nothing more annoying than those three stooges going off for a ploddy walk to that bloody awful music. You can't skip it. They all bend over, pick up the money. Oh, look, we've got the money. Wow, we got a hundred dollars. Then we go, click the button, dollars. And I was like, no, not again. I can't take again. I was even using the warp command on the on the emulator. I'm like, I'm warping you guys. That's it, I'm warping. Because <laughs> I, I couldn't handle it in the end. I mean, I, all right, I get it. You went full on Picard on it. <laughs> I did. Engage. I, I, whomever made this had a real passion for the Three Stooges. Okay. But that was their passion. And their humor and the style and the comedy are not compatible with this game. I'm guessing this is a conversion of an Amiga game. It must be. Which probably looks a lot better after all, Simple, because it's kind of that 16 bitty cinema weary type vibe. Fine. But this is an unfunny and dreary loadathon that had me slap in the off switch. And that's never a good thing, is it? It's not funny. To quote so and so, not funny. <laughs> Did you funny. like the Three no. Stooges? No, this opens with a joke so slow, only sloths could find it funny. <laughs> it's because it's the punchlines. Imagine if it was a real comedian on the stage. Yeah, it's like down, 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 down. It's like okay, oh, it's Defender of the Crown. Oh, I get it. And I was expecting it to go in there, sort of thing, but it didn't. It played, and then it went black. I sat there, <laughs> and then they appeared. And then it went black again. I sat there for for another minute or two. What, what, what is this? And then it came back and went, hey, it's the three stooges, not the different. I was like, what? You've lost. How is this in the timing? 
<laughs> your timing yes. is dreadful. So essentially, this is a watch the loading screen of Black Simulator interspersed with some crap minigames <laughs> and digitized pictures. Because I spent more time watching a loading screen of Black than I did playing yep. any games or doing anything yep. else. This is a real mismatch for the C64. It's just all over the place and so slow to do anything. The Three Stooges were all that about fast-paced gags. Whilst this is slow, bled, and boring and not funny at all. I'm not the biggest Three Stooges fan. This is a game that has no place on the C64 in this manner. The loading, it just kills it. It kills it. It takes anything to do anything and get anywhere. And when you do, it's rubbish. <laughs> so all that loading <laughs> it's really rubbish. is worthless because it's all rubbish. Every minigame is crap. It is really crap. <laughs> so, you know, it'd be like... If every minigame was like a really good, enjoyable five minutes of play, then I'd be going, oh, they, they, you know what? All right, fair enough. Put it on warp during the thing is, I can get around this. Yeah. But it won. It was just more pain. No. I wish I was waiting for the black screen to come back. <laughs> it's hilarious, that black screen. But it's better than this game. Um, yes. Huge misfire. Mishfire, as Sean Cody would say, after the excellent Defender of the Crown. What a what a joke. What a horror show this was. But I would say, though, however, I will say that when we look at these early examples of stuff, if you roll forward a little bit in time, you've got Mario Party. Yeah, yeah I suppose. Because Mario Party is board games, moving around, playing mini games. Yeah. Doing all done that right, stuff. Done right, yeah. Done right. You know, if this was this if this would have been multiplayer where three players play as, you know, you can play as three players, Larry, Curly, or Mo, whatever, and you're going around the board playing against each other in some two player little games, this would have been way better. It didn't need it's over it's over egged. It's over stooged, it's over pudding, it's over everything. <laughs> and it could have been a really sort of fun little mini game thing with, you know, one of you is Larry, one of you is Curly, one of you is Mo playing against the computer, playing against your mates. So two at least two on two little sort of slap fights, pie fights. That could I could see this going, you know what? This could be a really fun little game, but it's not. It's boring and, you know, just doesn't fit on the C64. And for God's sake, Mirrorware Cinema, whatever it's Cinemaware, Mirrorsoft and Cinemaware, hire someone who can write a disc loader. <laughs> well, the, the one for thingy was, Defender of the Crown was pretty good. Yeah, it, it was, but obviously get them back. <laughs> or go to Epics and say, can we license Vorpal, please? Well, in the back of my mind, I can't help but think that, was it mentioned somewhere, and again, somebody in the in our amazing fraternity of listeners will correct, but I seem to remember that with that loader, it was cracked, and the crack loader was replaced, and so they actually, Eaglesoft replaced the original Defender of the Crown loader with a better one, which is why that, Cracked version of Defend the Crown works so much better, but I could be wrong. I could be completely uh, maybe, wrong. Maybe, maybe. I don't know. I'm, I'm, I remember Did not... didn't crack this one. No, I remember enjoying <laughs> Defender of the Crown though, back on the C64, so back then when we did Yeah, no, it's it, good. So... That's what I mean. It, that one worked, whereas this one, no. No, it does not. Well, Larry, we Larry Kelly and no. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, Barry Surly and no. <laughs> Barry. Good old Barry. <laughs> Make weird noises, don't they? <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> so when you kicked him in the nuts and he goes, oh, I was like, I'm going to keep doing that until I, whether I win or lose, that's what's happening in this game because that's how I felt. <laughs> uh, there we go. That's that's this part over with. We thought June would be good. <laughs> no. We've got three there which have not, which have not impressed for various reasons, <laughs> even the gold medal. Uh, should we take a break uh, and come back yeah. and do something else? Hell yes. All right, there we go. That's your first three. We're going to take a break. When we come back, uh, we will have the singles from June 1988. So stay with us. Here we go. 
fresh hummus and delicious dips for our show sponsor, DavidHearnWriter.com, where you will find a gargantuan collection of brilliant audiobooks, bargain books, ebooks, and more. David once threw a dinner fork through a wall because his jacket potato was too hot. He doesn't mess around. He's also a brilliant writer. Check out this sound snip from his fantastic audiobook, Escape from the Commodore 64, which is available now. Run, Reese called. Just grab the lanterns. Don't worry about him. Lanterns tumbled from her arms. Lanterns she desperately needed if she was going to make it through this level. Ten became seven, and as she ducked and darted around the dimly lit passages, she grabbed one, two, three more. As she reached for the last one, a shadow fell over her. It was the goblin, tall and green and sporting a pair of boxing gloves. It was bigger than the ninja. And as its wonky smile turned into a teeth-bearing grimace, its aim was exactly the same as the ninja's. If that hasn't got your purchasing finger poised over the buy now button, I don't know what will. For more, please visit davidhernwriter.com. That's david, H-E-A-R-N-E, writer.com. Off you go. And we are back. Um, And something I didn't say at the top of the episode was that although this is episode 91, this is actually our 100th recorded episode. 100. Yay! Woo! 100. Woo! In honor of it being our 100th episode and at the request and behest (laughs) of a lot of our patrons, we've got a special guest, a special guest for this singles. We've we've, uh, we've, uh, promised this. We threatened you with this. (laughs) <laughs> for quite some time with <laughs> threatened him with it but uh tell us who's our special guest would you please introduce yourself mystery guest number one <laughs> uh hi i'm gary i'm from grimsby uh, i like uh going out uh <laughs> craft beer and basically juggling maybe occasionally uh, a little bit of music. It is. I'm Gary from Grimsby. Yay! <laughs> no, you're not. You, you, you are friend of the podcast, Gary. Friend That's of, your real friend name. Friend of the podcast, Gary. Yeah, That's I'm, the official I, title. I, I was about to say. I was about to say. I've forgotten that podcast friend <laughs> Gary. If I ever hear on your podcast, podcast friend Gary, this me. I'm so. Do you know what? I'm actually. I'm actually quite chuffed to be on here because actually, I did say I'm quite proud of what you've done. Actually, so. Kudos to you guys for putting this together. Uh, I've thoroughly enjoyed the, how many now? 89, 90, 90, whatever it is. We just said so, it. Actually, <laughs> yeah, yeah, it's under actually, it. It's under I, it, Gary. I, <laughs> Keep up, 007. <laughs> oh, well, 100, 100, yeah, 100. But do you know what? I, I, who would have thought in the late 80s, early 90s, that when I used to sit with you guys in the, in your bedrooms, listening to you talk crap about video games <laughs> and computers and music, that... Actually, 30-odd years later, I'm spending all this time listening to you talk about video games, crap, and uh, so on and so on. So literally, nothing has changed in my life. <laughs> what a disappointment. What a complete disappointment. Oh, but anyway, well done. Thank you. Thank it's you. A, it's a circle of life, Gary. Circle of life. It it's a... Uh... Thing. Oh God, I hate that song. I hate it. I hate that song. I hate it. Just uh, neutralise the scan. <laughs> Indeed. Um, well, Gary, yeah, and obviously one of the things we have said about you is that you are a connoisseur of fine music, or music at least, and you know yes. your um, you know your music from your elbows. And so we thought we'd get you on to talk about the singles this month um, and see and where that goes. You've got me talking about wet, wet, wet. Brilliant. Absolutely brilliant. <laughs> wet, 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 and broth. The thing is, what level are we at? The thing is. As we, you know, as we are, you know, we cannot choose 
the stuff that happened. We can't go back in time as much as we want to and kill people no, um, and tell them not to do stuff. We are, we are at the mercy no. of what actually came out. And so this is the way the cookie crumbles, the way the dice rolled and everything like that. So these, are the, tunes, these are the tunes that make the world go round in June. 1988. So should we get into some? I think we Let's should. Do Let's do it. Get into it. Let's get into it. Right, number one singles for the first week, uh, carrying on from last week, is with a little help from my friend, She's Leaving Home by Wet 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 and Billy Bragg with Cara Tivy. 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 <laughs> Tivy. Whatever. Do you know much about Cara Tivy? I've no. never actually looked into it because I can't stand the idea that she was friends with Neenek. <laughs> Good old Neenek. <laughs> the What's It Swallower. <laughs> <laughs> I just saw that on the list and avoided it. I, I just, I didn't have anything to do with it. I, I couldn't bear the thought of opening. I couldn't quite figure out whether it was a double A. So what is it? Is it a charity a record? It's a double A charity, a charity record. record. Yeah. yeah, it was. Oh it was for God. the la- it was for the launch of Childline. Believe it or not. Oh God, yeah, have they not so. suffered enough? No. <laughs> <laughs> and later, it was uh, used in all of the what's it's adverts for when uh, Marty Pello. Because he, he swallows large watch that's just hold down his long neck, his long knee neck. <laughs> he does. Um, um, gah, 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 gah. Uh, so, <laughs> anyway, moving on. Uh, the following week, Doctor in the TARDIS <laughs> by the Time Lords reaches number one. Yeah. Uh, what do you See, say about I, this? I, I know that you, you spoke about this the other week, and I, I quite frankly, I mm-hmm. think there's like a book or something out of could be like this could be chapter one because i don't want to sound like a boring sod but the klf and everything around this song is just amazing i mean don't don't get me wrong the fact that it's based around the gary glitter uh, break is is not a very good thing nowadays but looking back at it you know you can you it refers to like a whole kind of stuff you know the rise of acid house the rise of sampling in music the rise of cut up and just putting and the whole thing about the klf telling everybody they could have a number one you know they tried with um have you heard the song kylie said to jason which was one of the yeah, early songs. yeah trying to have uh, you know and they bill drummond and jimmy county are just absolute uh geniuses artistic bonkers uh provocateurs yeah, and they still do mad shit just, now Oh, God, yeah. I watched the documentary on them uh, a couple of weeks ago on Sky Arts. You know, who killed the... What's it called? Who killed the KLF? I think it, I think it was. Yeah, that's it. Uh, yeah. Just just absolute madness. And this, you know, all right. You, if, <laughs> it's a shame that the Gary Glitter break is on it. It really would have been great if it had been something else. Because who doesn't love the Doctor Who thing? But, you know, the whole thing of putting mashups together and making it a thing, you know, was done brilliantly by the KLF or the Jams or whatever they were called at that time. I think if you're interested in this kind of stuff, if I could refer your listeners to a, a DJ Food slash Strictly Kev mix, which I'm going to go completely hog wild here, and I, I'll say <laughs> I think this mix is the greatest, greatest mix of all time. Could never be officially released, but you can find it on the internet somewhere called uh, Raiding the 20th Century uh, by DJ Food, which is uh, a part project of Cold Cut and uh, this guy, Strictly Kev, which has a whole history of mashups from the Beatles, from Stockhausen, from Cold Cup, from Pump Up the Volume, from Mark, from anything you name, Kylie, into a whole hour of musical genius. So anyway, uh, that, that's what I would like to say about Dr. Nazaris. Uh, is it better than... Yeah, it um, thumbs up for me. Is it better than Jive Bunny? Ah, <laughs> oh, Jive Bunny. I think Jive Bunny are in that mix somewhere, actually. I think they are. I Probably. think they're in it. You know, you've got to... 
That whole thing is stars one forty five. Any links that you've uh, you've got for us, we'll put in the show notes when this goes out, so people can find that cool. themselves, of course, as well. We will. Grant. Last two Take weeks of the month. We have uh, Bross. Is this first time they've been at number one? I can't remember. It's I owe you nothing anyway. Bross, isn't it? What do you say about Bross? It's not true. He owes me 50 quid. <laughs> Treacherous bastard. <laughs> Did you lend him the money for those T-shirts? Uh, that yeah, in that, that picture? <laughs> that, I got him 50, 50 bottle tops from when I worked in the pub and he never gave me any money for them. The scumbag. Stupid, stupid idiot. Which one was it borrowed him off you? Did they sort of dress up as each other and you could never tell? Was it Luke or Matt? <laughs> it was the one that looks like the guy of, of Depeche Mode. So... Whichever one that was. <laughs> what, Craig Fairbrass? Yeah. Bassist. <laughs> yeah. Him. Okay. Yeah. Damn them. Anyway, that's Bross. They were, they, they were a weird lot. But anyway, their, their belts yeah. were far too high. I do, I, I, yeah. <laughs> I, 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 don't, I don't understand their career curve. I mean, what, what did they do? They just kind of did a few things. My sister went to see them live. She said they were brilliant, but uh, she had when? almost zero musical taste. So, no, 1988, 89. Oh, my God. And then they went off to she America. She was a brossette. Was it? Oh God! Yeah, well, yeah, well. <laughs> but, but one of them was in Blade too, was it, or whatever? Yes, yeah, he's the head yes, vampire. Was, yes. yeah. What your sister? She in Blade too? That's <laughs> <terrible>. <laughs> she's the head vampire. You should never let her in your house, Gary. When is she powerless? Well, to be honest, I don't. <laughs> it's just weird. And then one of them, one of the men's up on Strictly. Yes, yeah, I mean, he, what, he, what career have they had? He didn't do very well on Strictly, though. He did. The world do very is well. an off place. Oh, God, he was terrible. Absolutely terrible dancer. Just oh, anyway. There we anyway. go. Anyway, let's get. <laughs> he always, he always was. <laughs> let's get into our weeks. Fifth of fifth of June. Fifth of June. In at number twelve is "Every Day Is Like Sunday" by Morrissey, and mm. it is when listening to Morrissey is all I'm going to say. Really, mm. hey Morrissey. Like did, did you see? Did you see on the video of them people queuing to meet him or something? Was it? I I couldn't quite figure that out. Yeah, so something I, was something bad to... was going down, wasn't it? <laughs> Who would go to see Morrissey? Exactly. (laughs) Nobody. He's the only person where people queue. People queue in the opposite direction to get away from him. (laughs) I can hear an impression coming on. (laughs) (laughs) You were about to do some Morrissey singing. Uh, Hello, son. (laughs) So nice to see you. What do you want me to sign your book? Brilliant. Wow. Wow, it's like he's in the room. <laughs> Every day is like Sunday. <laughs> People knock our impressions. I, I'm not a fan, they realize, I have to say. They realise they're Mike Yarwood. Mike Yarwood, goodness me. I'm sorry, but... It's, a, it's an 80s reference, the, 80s The ball. whole thing. <laughs> <laughs> Who else is they going to say? <laughs> I'm Can't trying to think of some other impressionists. <laughs> yeah, <now>. exactly. <laughs> I was thinking to say Rory Bremner. Is anyone I could think uh, of? Yeah, okay. Oh, Rory Bremner, yeah. Steve yeah. Coogan. Steve Coogan, he's, yeah, he's another one. Yeah, yeah okay. Yeah. All right. Um, uh, uh, not crops, my thing. I, I've got a blind spot for the Smith, a blind no. spot for Morrissey, and I'm very pleased to have that blind spot. Yeah, he's an asshole these days as well. Um, yeah. Number, number 19. Oh, absolute scumbag. Yeah, number 19, Chains of Love by Erasure. Uh, mm. I listen mm. to this, but only sometimes. Why? Ooh, sometimes I get it. <laughs> He's here all week. Can't get rid of him. He'll go. <laughs> uh, this was the ninth single um, written by the yeah. pair of them, Clark and Bell. Um, yeah. for whatever. It's off the Innocence, the third album. This is oh, it's a bit bland, isn't it? The only good thing about this is the video. 
Um, there's a lack good. of well, no, but there's a lack of Andy Bell bend in the video. But as you've yes. rightly, as you've rightly written, there is lots of spinning and being suspended from bungee cord powered underpants, which yep. is not a sentence I expected to read when I opened this agenda <laughs> earlier today. Um, but that did that does like uh, tell me that Superman's secret has been revealed. <laughs> That's how he took off. <laughs> took off with bungee powered underpants. I know they look really uncomfortable as well. It's like they're properly like. I mean, they're, they're tight pants anyway. I mean, and they're, they're, yeah, they're, they're forcing things up that shouldn't be up <laughs> in all sorts of ways. That sentence is very open to interpretation. It's but just yes, unple- you're right. It's just unpleasant, but there's lots of floating. Yes, he's going to be in a lot of pain. I'll tell you after that. Lots of pain. Uh, and number 37 is you have placed a chill in my heart by the Eurythmics. Uh, I'm with Gary on this. I point. don't get it. I don't, I don't, I don't get this, Annie Lennox. Like, is she going to be like when she dies? She'll still be in the Brits for like best vocal performance or something. <laughs> because I just, I just don't get it. It's like if they did that with uh, what's the name who died? Uh, She's uh, national, uh, national treasure. Whitehouse then. She's a national treasure. She, 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 on the, she on the Brits? <laughs> Mary Whitehouse. <laughs> no, Adele. What's her name? Not Adele. Amy Winehouse. That's the woman I was yeah, trying yeah, to think yeah, of. Yeah. They gave her like yeah. a Brit when she was like best album when she was dead. It's a bit like they keep Annie, they keep Annie Lennox around just because it gives them a bit of value-added kind of thing. But actually, I just don't get it. I, I honestly don't get it. I like the, the Eurythmics did a, you know two good songs, that great riff from you know that everyone knows and everyone sampled, you know, from a couple of these songs. But it's just ah, God, and that yeah. video with that poor man having to hug her. He had to hug her for probably days to do that video. Yeah. I just don't well, get it. He, super he glued. Medal. They were super glued together. They were like that in the previous video, weren't they? We said in the previous song they released, it was this awful opera thing. It was a bloody nightmare. Yeah, the last one wasn't very good. But to quote someone on this podcast, I quite like this. (laughs) 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 I I like this. I don't mind it. It's all right. Uh, It's better than the next one. Yeah, it is. It is better than the next one. Yeah, it is better than the next one. <laughs> Number forty-eight. There's more to love by the Communards. I'm just going to say. <laughs> I'm just going to say before, <laughs> before we lose any more listeners. Um, uh, this video annoyed the crap out of me in the first five seconds. There was there was gurning and then Jimmy Somerville smiling to us, and I was like, "Off, off, Valdim! I can't be doing with this." There's like jokey dancing and stuff. I was like, "No, no, done. I'm out. I'm out. No." Boop. What? You left after... I turned it off. I was like, damn this. Yeah. I, was, I, I, I actually watched about three minutes of it. I watched almost the whole of the video. Why? I was kind of obsessed with the dancing vicar at the back. I mean, he's he's had a funny career curve as well, isn't he? Well, yeah. he's, 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 now, he's, now, he's, now, he's a Dave regular, isn't he? He's one of the Dave regulars. Yes. Dave? Yeah, he is, yeah, the yeah. TV, you know, the TV channel, Dave. Yeah. Oh, he's on Dave, is he? What, have they got Pan- like he's vicar on panel, panel shows he's, and stuff he's like that. He's the panel show regular. Oh, my God. Oh, Jesus. Yeah, there you go. Um, no, no. <laughs> it wasn't for me. <laughs> All right, Jimmy. <laughs> yeah. Thank who, invi- who invited him on this call? God damn it. <laughs> Get that guy out of here. Take your coming out with you. <laughs> I won't. I won't leave me this way. <laughs> <laughs> Kick him in the communards. <laughs> right in his communards. Don't want his voice going any higher. Dogs will hear him. Can you um, tell me why? <laughs> no, not get out. Oh, <laughs> uh, God. I'm just a small town boy. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. Uh, number 49. Okay, that's enough. Number 49 is Simply Irresistible by Robert Palmer. Ooh, <laughs> awful. Uh, 
I mean, we we all we all watched that video, didn't we? Uh, yeah. And when it was on top of the pops, you were like, "Oh my god, whoa, yeah, it's sexy." Women. But as an as an adult, you just think it's uh, it's not it's, good. It's re- reductive, isn't it? It's yeah. completely reductive. Like women just do objects, and uh, you can put like I said about the other. You can find on the internet uh, John Peel actually introducing this song on actually on top of the pops, and his actual words were uh, John Peel. That's a dickhead in love, Robert Palmer. <laughs> and how nice to see he's turned his back on all that sexist mutt. That was actually <laughs> the line that John Peel said to introduce this song on top of the pop. Really, you can't like blame that. him, really. Horrible, crass, misogynistic guff of the highest order. I will watch it only five more times. So it lasts longer. Like that, like that Bill Hicks joke about Basic Instinct. Basic Instinct, rubbish, absolute rubbish. Anyway, after I watched it five times. Yeah, exactly. Yep. <laughs> oh dear, oh dear. Um, number fifty-six. I will. I'll always love you by T- Taylor Dane. <sighs> Taylor Dane. Just strange one, Taylor I li- Dane. I liked I don't Those mind some of her stuff. Singles, though, yeah. No, the first two singles, Prove Your Love and uh, whatever the other one was. Brilliant. Kind of like catchy, kind of poppy, kind of bit European. And then, as always, the third single off the album turns into a dreary old, oh, God. Yeah. Got I, appeal, I, got, I, oh, God. Got appeal to a d- different demographic. Um, I did know that there's, there's so much hair in this. It's parted in two time zones. <laughs> there, there was a lot of hair. There was a lot of hair. So much hair. hair. And I don't like singers that have the syllables that are basically the same for their first and second name. So Tay Day. She'd be short to, hey, Tay Day, you <laughs> come in. No, no. <laughs> just one of your pet names. Don't, I just don't <laughs> like it. Tay, yeah, Tay Day, Taylor Day, Tay Day. It's like, no, just call her something different. Don't call her Taylor Day. It's like Taylor Day. Hello, Taylor Day. Are you all right? No, I don't like your name. Yeah, but I, that's a bit similar to me because I don't, I don't like people with two first names. And I think Adrian has this thing about like the same name twice. I don't like, like what if your name was like Tony George? That's, that's not a good name. <laughs> but you it can't wouldn't bother it. Adrian, but that no, would no. bother you. <laughs> yeah, it wouldn't bother me at all. If he was George George, I'd punch him. <laughs> or Tony, or Tony Tony. Tony Tony. There was a band called Tony Tony Tone. <laughs> Do you not know Tony Tony? Oh, I'm sure there was. down the street. <laughs> Tony, Tony, Tony. We call him Two Tone Tony. We can look. We can look, see if we can find the singles from Tony, Tony, Tone. <laughs> I've never heard of them. I, I think you're making this up. No, I swear they're like a '90s, 2000s R and B boys, uh, boys. What they called? <laughs> Tony, Tony type thing. Whatever they are. Tony, Tony, boys Tone. are us. <laughs> yeah, I'm like, boys are us. <laughs> boys you're are us. Making shit up now. Boys I mean, are boys us. To men. <laughs> I was thinking, I, man, I, was thinking I, I was actually agreeing with you. Yeah, I've heard of Boys R Us. No, that's Toys R Us. That's a good name for a boy band, though. I mean, goodness me, how did that not get used? I've heard right, Toys R Us would have sued him. I know, by the way, for that Taylor Dane song, that it was the soundtrack to some smooth 80s after club smitch in the steamy nights. Not for us, though. <laughs> no, not this we never, we would That was never going to apply to us, ever. No. Not, not, I don't think I've ever used that kind of music to smooch my way anywhere, really. No. <laughs> It's only work. dinner party stuff. Number I 77. carry it around with me to this day, just in case, but it's never worked. <laughs> never worked. Uh, number 77, we've got Cuddly Toy by Roachford. Um, yeah. Reminds me of um, Curiosity Killed a Cat, that same sound. It just sounded like them. And Roach, Roachford even dan- dances like Ben Bon Bolivon, whatever his name is. Yeah, his first name's Cock. They don't put that on his... Cock Volivon. No, Cock, cock Roachford, you fool. Cock Roach. <laughs> <You> dickhead. 
It's called Cock Volivon. I think Cock Volivon Vol- Vol- is like a, it's a name that even Fleming would have been proud of. It's not going to go down well. <laughs> Hello, sir. Would you like Cock a Cock Volivon? Yeah. Where's the Ferrero Rochers? <laughs> you, you don't want to know what they're made of. Bobby Ferrero. <laughs> no. <laughs> Cock volivant. No. I, I, I thought it sounded like the Lost Boys. Uh, I still believe song. This Roachford. It's, it's a similar vibe to them. I don't. I don't think I've ever seen the Lost Boys. What? Ever. Hey, I, I've, I've watched it with you. Never. No, I swear we haven't. I swear we, we haven't. Have. We have definitely have. <laughs> I must. I must have been high on those two cans of Kestrel that we used to drink. Yeah, I think it's more likely you were high on. Farts, <laughs> yeah, um, meat pounds in the back, just slowly gassing uh, you. I honestly don't. Any, anyway, I'm, I, this isn't, I don't, this cuddly toy wasn't for me. It's no. a cuddly toy that was going in the bin. It was a cuddly toy that should have gone to the charity shop, quite Absolutely. frankly. It's <laughs> one you wouldn't, <laughs> it's one you wouldn't want to say if you saw it on uh, Generation Game. No, that's for sure. Number no. eight, two, nothing's going to change my love for you, Glenn Medeiros. Oh, yeah, yeah. Nothing's it's gonna, gonna change, change my love, my love for, for you. you. <laughs> <laughs> Is that how it goes? Yeah, something That's, like that. Something thanks, like that. Yeah. Thanks, thanks Barry. <laughs> <laughs> well, Barry Barry Tone. In... <laughs> this was the song that was on Jukebox Jury. Do you remember it? By eighty, obviously eighty-eight, where Vaguely. they put Glenn Medeiros behind the screen. And whoever was on it slated it. They were like, this is just <laughs> crap. This is like oral enema. I've had, you know, da, da, da. and then they were like, well, what's his name? Jules Holland was like, well, that's, that's a bit of a shame. So let's bring him out. Uh-huh. <laughs> it's Glenn Medeiros. And he actually comes out and everyone's like, oh, shit, we've just really had a go at him. That's a bit embarrassing. That's just terrible. That's good TV, that is. If, yeah, that's what you want. That's all for telly. It's on those uh, best of the 80s programs that Channel 5 always put on with all the clips. Uh, the awkward we'll, moments sure when Medeiros came out. Stick a link to that in the show notes. I'm, that's a, that is a really funny clip, actually, to be fair. Yeah, yeah. it, it is. It is, it is very, it's a bit awkward. I don't really like awkward things. I get, they make me cringe, but it, hey, it is mm. a classic piece of TV. Yeah, <laughs> he sounds like a cake as well. <laughs> what, Medeiros cake? Medeiros. Oh. <laughs> Know your cakes, man. Oh God! Know your cakes. What is this? this? Come on, this podcast. You better, you better get up on your cakes. You better know your angel cake being Madeira, <laughs> or else you're doomed. Doomed. <laughs> Number ninety-four. Escape from New York by Nasty Rocks Inc. Uh, the only uh, thing good for this is just the, the Escape from New York. It's got to be something to do with John Carpenter. Why do you call yourself or your song Escape from New York and then? Not have any single thing to do with escape from New York. It's, it's madness. Cost money. I don't know. All I could find out was that it was something to, to, to potentially it was something to do with the ZTT records or whatever he pronounced that, which was Trevor Horn's setup, or CJ McIntosh was involved because he was in Nasty Rocks Incorporated. Yeah, the, and that's that's the guy it, from it Mars, like isn't it? Bit, yeah, it looks like a bit of a kind of a Manchester type thing going on. And yeah, I've actually got this single. I bought it a few years ago uh, in a charity shop, and I thought, bloody hell, escape from New York. This is going to be like. Mega Blast by Bomb the Base all over again. And it, I, I swear to God, I think I threw it out. I, I think I just got rid of it. I just put it it's in the bin. not very good. However, I did notice from watching the video and I posted a picture there, there's a C64 in the video. It is. Yes, that's right. There it is. Yes, and a monitor was, as well. I know. Weirdly just pops up there for no reason. It's on a table. Oh. That, pic, that, that picture you put up, I bet they all stood around it going, oh, 
they've got the new S-Express demo. No, <laughs> it's the new Tron pack of Defender of the Crown. <laughs> Quick, put it. Oh, they've yeah, got Nemesis on. on. That would have been a disc sleeve, wouldn't it? We'd have made that into a disc sleeve for an S-Express disc sleeve, I think. Yeah, there you go. There you go. C64 in the video. We'll post it. A... Oh, I won't, actually. Go look for yourself. <laughs> 12th of June, number 19, The Twist. Yo, Twist. By the Fat Boys with Chubby Checker. Yeah, a bit cheeky, this, this is one. just like it? laughing at fat, fat, fat people who are ethnic minorities. It's really horrible. It's like, look yeah. at them. I mean, the Fat Boys apparently were quite, you know, in the early days, the mid-early 80s, the Fat Boys were a proper act. And they've yeah, just yeah. let white, middle-aged musos, uh, like Clive Davis type figures, just send them down this path of selling crap, you know? And Wasn't one of like, them a really yeah. pretty good uh, beatboxer? Yeah, yeah, they were. Yeah, they started off as know, a pop rack. Yeah, yeah. And they ended yeah, up doing I mean, the. Uh... They turned, doing this kind of stuff. It's just like, it's just at the behest of like money men. Come on. Probably. We yeah. don't need it. We never wanted it. Straight. What's strange, strange about this is the twist wasn't even the originally Chubby Checkers song. That was originally released in 1958 by Hank Ballard and the Midnighters as a B-side to Teardrops on Your Letter. <laughs> and then uh, Chubby <laughs> Checker covered that in 1960. So it. Fat Boys and Chubby Checker, it's a, co- it's a double cover because there's two people covering someone else's song. How weird is that? It's like this, is- I always thought it was Chubby Checker's song. It never even occurred to me that it was actually a cover. Weird. No, a lot of those songs that you think are whatever, it's like um, Willie Nelson and all those other acts that wrote songs in the 60s. I'm just churning them all out. Exactly. And final ironic sadness here is that on December the 10th, 1995, Darren Buffalo of Robinson died of a massive heart attack in Queens, New York. He was 28 years old and reportedly weighed 200 kilos when he died. Um, oh, my God. That's, you know, he's probably like, oh, oh. anyway, don't get me started on this. I won't. But I will <laughs> right, say, though, won't. that they did end up doing the uh, track for <laughs> one of the Nightmare on Elm Street films, didn't they? Did they? I'm sure they did. I'm sure they did the sort of what, what end, the end credits. What's got song. to do with goddamn Nightmare on Elm Street? Well, I don't know. <laughs> well, the, well, the money. Maybe Freddy Krueger's coming. <laughs> Freddy Krueger will kill you. <laughs> <laughs> Quality beatboxing oh, there. Yeah, absolutely. Wow. <laughs> Barry Barry C baritone is in the house. Yeah, yeah, exactly. You uh, you keep you keep you keep in control of yourself there. People will be getting down. At least I hope that was beatboxing and not something else. <laughs> um, well, it's like, what could you write a song about? Fred? I mean, they, they did that in Ghostbusters, didn't they? That terrible yes. Ghostbusters Bobby Brown song. Oh, the Ghostbusters oh, too. Oh my god, awful. Yeah. yeah. Um, um, any old crap. Yep, the 80s and 90s, <laughs> anything went. Number 20 is Lucretia, My Reflection by the Sisters of Mercy. There you go. Yeah, I think it's their best song. It's probably one of them, yeah. Yeah, it certainly is. And they were a singles band, weren't they? So Apparently it concerns the fall of an empire, war and the consequent destruction of all other aspects of life. The lyrics read, I hear the roar of a big machine, two worlds and in between, hot metal and methadrine, that's amphetamine in another name. I hear empire down. I'm not getting a noble Roman woman who's sexual assault by a Christian King Sextus Taquinas <laughs> and subsequent suicide triggered the collapse of early Roman monarchy from that, but... You know, maybe I'm overreading it. No, you know, he's just he's it. condensing. He's writing for his. Uh, but you know, <laughs> never try and understand Sisters of Mercy lyrics, my dear boy. It renders you powerless. <laughs> well, didn't you say that he just writes rhythmically? So he's just, you know, it's all yeah. like matching the number of syllables to the roof with the he ha ha and the <laughs> yeah, na na me and all that. Absolutely. There's no there's no sense to Sisters of Mercy lyrics. He may say there is, but they're, they're just gibberish. And I'm a you know, and I'm a goth fan. I, so. I think, that, yeah, the the best thing about the video with the glasses he had on, they were quite cool. 
out. Well, he never took them off. They were, uh, he slept, slept with them. Did he not shower. take them off ever? No, welded to his face. He had really? little cardboard inserts of eyes open and eyes closed <laughs> that he just put over the lenses to <laughs> indicate whether he was awake or asleep. Absolutely. Andrew, you awake? Do, do, you, think if, do you think he kept them on? <laughs> it emits a goth noise. I think he kept them on because when he took them off, he looked like little mole man from The Simpsons. What is that? It's just a tiny eyes. <laughs> to be fair, he now looks like um, a floating egg. That's my impression of him. Because <laughs> I saw them live. A few, well, I saw them live a few years back, pre-COVID, um, at Rock City in Nottingham, and there was so much dry ice you couldn't see the band. Every now and again, his face would just float out of the ice, float out of the smoke, and it was just because he's, he's completely bald now. He's got no hair, so he's just like a floating egg. So singing goth lyrics at me, like very strange. I oh. might have been hallucinating, but you know. Who knows? Did you hear the roar of yeah. the big machine? <laughs> I was. I was he invited me back to his temple of love, but I've had none of it. He goes around to his next door neighbours. Can I borrow your washing machine? <laughs> washing machine? Yeah. That's quite an ask. <laughs> <laughs> well, you use it. Can I use your washing machine? No, you can't. You can't. It's plugged in. And it's really hard to unplug. <laughs> I've got a T-shirt and a pair of jeans. <laughs> I've been wearing no, them for 40 it. years. I told you before, you and your sisters can sod off. <laughs> no mercy from me. <laughs> uh, number 26, The Blood That Moves the Body by Aha. Eh, it's a bit, I don't really know it. I know it. It goes, the blood it. that moves the body. <laughs> it's not very good, though. <laughs> I, I actually I st- saw you both uh, uh-huh, there, a few years ago. Down your road? What? Down the street? Down your, Come round? <laughs> Moving in Co-op? next door? Asking no, for your well, washing machine? I, I, <laughs> I, as I want to do? I have to say, I, <laughs> we went to see them and they were uh, they were not great, I have to say. Really? Um, they were completely blown off the stage by OMD. Oh, my days. I, during the OMD machine. set, I cried twice. I have to say. <laughs> Someone I tried to get twice, <laughs> I was, <laughs> I was not particularly moved by a heart, but you know they were doing fine. But they were not anywhere as good as OMD. Um, Which version of OMD are we talking great. about? It's really not very good. No, it's not. Why did not you cry during OMD? The version that was on the stage in front of me. Oh, I cry every gig. I literally cry. every gig I go to, I have a little bit of a cry. Is that because you bought your ticket? You looked at the price and you realised you were an OMD gig. You're like, oh Christ! Why did I pay that to see Armed? <laughs> good old Armed. Armed. I don't actually think I can't remember a, a gig I never cried at. Maybe Utah Saints a few years ago. Ministry. When we went to see Ministry, you didn't cry then, apart from the fact that we were there for two hours waiting for him to come on. It sounds like you were royally on. No, and then <laughs> ommed, yes, I was on. Um, I have to say I'm a huge fan of OMD. Good good for you. Um number thirty, Breakfast in Bed. <laughs> UB forty with Chrissy Hind. Hey. There's not one part of any of that words salad that I just said that makes me happy. No. Combination of my two least favourite artists. The song was originally written for and recorded by Dusty Springfield. However, the combination of the voices of UB40, the nasal drug wasp, and the vowel <laughs> challenge broken battery surges of Chrissy Hine should never have been allowed to happen. Dynamo woman, Dymo. That, she's one of those wind up Dymo toys. <laughs> that bit you have noted, Gary, in the notes there. Leave it out, Campbell. When I saw that in the video, <laughs> what, I was. What was, I was that all about? I, I don't know, but I was laughing for ages. <laughs> yeah, <same. laughs> was, Best thing UB40 of... ever did, ever. Leave it out, Campbell. There was some kind of builder fella, Cockney builder fella, looking at 
Campbell in the street going, what's going on here? It was like he was an EastEnders reject. What's, leave it, Campbell. Leave it, <laughs> what's going on here? Oh, what's, what's going, going on? on? This is, that was his, oh, I could be an EastEnders. This is my application. This is my audition for EastEnders. What's going on? Leave it, Campbell. <laughs> so uh, you'd like the part of uh, Angry Den, would you? I would. What's your acting credentials? Well, let me show you this part of the UB40 scene. <laughs> Leave it there, Campbell. You're hired. <laughs> You're in. You're drummer. No, you're not. Get out. You're not having you. We'll just have him. Yeah, speaking of drum solos, it sound like that. Number 35. That's a good segue. In the Air Tonight, 1988 by Philip Collins. Yes. Yes. Is this this is re-released? This came out in 1981, right? Originally, yeah, so, it's well earlier. Yeah, 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 yeah. yeah. So, old. Yeah. so why have they re-released this? There must be some reason. Well, it's in risky business, isn't it? <laughs> oh, that's why. I was trying to think. It's must be a reason. This in '83, but yeah, that's why it's that's how old it is. And this isn't for risky business. That's why it's re-released. Why? Do you know Gary? No, no, no. It was it was remixed by a, a, a Dutch a Dutch DJ called Benley Brand, who was remixing a lot of tunes at the time. Uh, Taji Savelle, the guy behind War of the Worlds, uh, uh, Bill okay. Withers. There was loads of Benley Brand remixes, uh, and this presumably was one of those, because I know we uh, did a version enough. of this, so it's obviously gone back into the chart. Yes, yeah. I imagine it's something to do with that then, which explains why it's reappeared mysteriously with its gated reverb. But it's, but it's still a great song. I mean, I'd listen to, I mean, I, when I read Phil Collins' autobiography, which is actually quite a good read. Um, <laughs> You're starting to sound like American Psycho. <laughs> the drum solo the, the, the drum bit he did in one take it was the first take he did he just well, I was going to do something I want to improvise something and he's he a, just completely he's a, improvised it he's and, a drummer oh. don't mean to be rude but firstly he's a drummer and secondly it's not that bloody difficult what he does <laughs> Yeah, it's just oh, East Enders. You know. It's just East Enders intro. It's not what you do it's how you do it they should change suddenly change the East Enders dum dum dums to that one from that song though that would be quite good Hey Adele, what are you doing in that cellar? I'm going to do a mashup. Campbell. Collins, no, none of that drum rigging, BBM. Just hit the drums, Colin, leave it. I'm about to do a mashup of that, I think. Something needs to happen. Anyway, number 38, We're Tougher Than the Rest. By Bruce Springsteen. Oy. Absolutely one of my favourite songs of all time. Absolutely <laughs> bloody. I, I, it's not everyone's bag. I get that. It's but for me, I do like Bruce Springsteen. Not everything, but this tougher than the rest song. Oh, I just, I just absolutely love it. As I would like. But I don't to understand know. the video. Mm. Is, is is the video has a really nicely shot uh, stage presence from Springsteen and his uh, then wife Patty, the beautiful Patty. And then it's got all these dreadful black and white inserts of loved up couples like having a bit of a hug. Oh my God, it's just terrible. <laughs> you, you hate, terrible. You it's hate still a great song. That. I know you do. I would like to know though, who he thinks he's tougher than? Who are the rest? These <laughs> these explaining, Springsteen. Those the, Explain yourself. That, those, <laughs> those other nomads who wear gingham vests and go to bars, that's who he's tougher than. And drive wants to cut. <laughs> Drive what? You know, <laughs> down in the bars, like trying to woo Patty and just like being manly type fellas. That's who he's tougher than. Uh, all right. Probably hates me then. <laughs> right, um, don't tell me you wear a gingham vest. Does it, who wears a gingham vest? Yeah, but not on my top. <laughs> <laughs> Number 78 is I Want Your Love by Transvision Bump. <laughs> 
Oh, I like this. This, this was their big. This uh, was their I'll, big I'll, hit, wasn't it? Yeah, I don't mind this. All right. It, mm. Yeah, I'll, I'll, I'll take the love and lose the song. Come on, it's it's it, all that kind of little shenanigans and stuff. It was just it, it was it set off a thousand kind of bands, didn't it? Really? Yeah, um, fan fans. Yeah, it's fine. It's this. Yeah. Uh, yeah. Pop punk, pop hybrid. Yeah, yeah. Yeah, it's what it is. Number 86, The Mercy Seat from Nick Cave and The Bad Seeds. Mm. Mm. <laughs> Love a bit of Nick Cave. You didn't Love say you a like bit of Nick Cave. Yeah. Not for me. I, th- I think no. Nick Cave is absolutely one of the artists of the past 20 years. You know, the, the, cur- the curve from, you know, that post-punk slash gothy curve to kind of uh, the front of of uh, a, a modern man, you know, through tragedy, through his own artistic endeavours. He's a renaissance man, and that's obviously the kind of guy that I aspire to. So I'm happy to say I am a Nick Cave fan, and this is one of his very best, one of his very best, covered by Johnny Cash himself. It's it was, just cracking. It was indeed. Yeah, been covered by a few people, eh? Oh, well, I'll tell you yeah. where for it. I like neither stolen caves nor seeds of any kind. <laughs> These buns have no seeds. <laughs> No, they shouldn't have. <laughs> Mine are just pure bun. Smooth came in the bun seeds. That was the first band iteration. <laughs> Sad seat. Nick Cave in the buns. That's not going to work, is it? Nick Cave in the seeded bat. <laughs> well, Nick Cave in the sunflower seeds was a bit too nice. <laughs> <laughs> because you can't, you don't, they don't grow in caves. No, no one likes a cave. Nobody. Number 94 is The Flame by Cheap Trick. We cheap all know there's only two indeed. good Cheap Trick tracks. Yeah. yeah, interestingly, both are good because of the same reason, which is that they're on the Budokan live album, because everything else by them was not as good as that. Yeah, exactly. Surrender and I Want You <laughs> to Want I'm Me. Not, no That's wrong it. with that. That's it. Yeah. The only things you need exactly. to hear by Cheap Trick. The I Want You to Want Me, it's got the crowd and the audience in the live version saying, I think they say um, meow, meow, because I think that it's, you know, it's uh, quite famous that they have like an interaction with their audience and very mm. strange, very mm. strange. A meow, meow. What's yeah, they say about? that, meow, they say he says, and it did, and I did, and I did, and I did, and and the crowd go, meow, meow, like that for some reason. You can listen back to it at your leisure and check that out all for yourself. <laughs> I think oh, I've heard okay, it before, so I'm all right. Uh, those are two very good songs. This, however, was boring and bland. I quite liked it. I, I'm a sucker <laughs> oh, for a power ballad, and I quite liked it. Never want to hear anything else ever by Cheap Trick again, but, you know, for the four minutes I was watching it, I, I thought it was all right. As we have ascertained on this podcast, I do love a good rock ballad. This is not oh, one I of love, them. I love it. It's all love it. right. <laughs> First <laughs> single from the 10th album. 10 tenth, albums. 10th. Goodness me. 10th. 10th album. No. 19th of June. Let's move along. 19th of June. In at number 31 is I Will Be With You by The Pow. By the <laughs> Northern Pow. Yorkshire. <laughs> yeah, to Pow. The Northern Powerhouse. <laughs> to Pow. <laughs> yeah. Um, I, I don't really get this video at all. I mean, Carol Decker, bless her in a lockdown rant and everything else recently. You know, she looks great in the video. You know, the first two singles were brilliant. And then we end up with this. We do. It's Carol in a Corridor. Is that Third how they single that, problem? that video? It's um, haunting abstract symbolism, Gary. It, it, might, it might well be. <laughs> she's basically in a corridor. A gray, <laughs> it looks like she's in a grey corridor in a little blue dress, prancing around like she's been captured by Nazis and been forced to watch her own videos back. I mean, what's going on? This is the worst version of Catchphrase I've ever played. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, Roy Walker's like, that's not a catchphrase. <laughs> did, you just, did you just say Nazi? Bear! <laughs> <laughs> That's Mr. Chips you're talking about. <laughs> say what you say. It's Carol Decker in a corridor. Oh, 
We're surrounded by Nazis. Why am I answering on. my own questions? Oh, <laughs> bear! <laughs> I know the answer, and I'm the host. <laughs> it's time for me to go through to the big round. I win. <laughs> Mr. Chips becomes real and just smashes his face in with a you know, with a catchphrase. I only know one to pal fan. One singular. I mean, like proper yeah, fan, not well, like not like a yeah, well, arbitrary. Yeah, I, I I had the album. I remember having the album, and there was two. There was you know two tracks: Heart and Soul, and China in Your Hand, and everything the, else. Yeah, was... the first two absolutely brilliant. Those songs, absolutely brilliant. But then it's just like there's nothing else. It's the no, cultural yeah. vacuum. The rest of it yeah, just true. Oh. Carrying on from that, and at number thirty-two is maybe we should call this a day by Hazel Dean. Bloody <laughs> Hazel Dean, honestly. I remember nothing about her. Who is she? What did she, she do? It, I remember for, she, she did searching, looking for love. I've got to find me. Um, was that her? I don't know. I, that was I don't Dean. know. That, I don't know. But Hazel Dean, this obviously was going for the the, the gay disco market, the, the kind of the crossover into kind of camp, etc. Which was what Pete Walkman and PWL yes. and uh, Stock yes. Aiken, That's what they were going for. They were just selling this to yeah. that market and. I don't think it's hit in either our market. It should be a bit camper. camper. Yeah. It's, it's yeah, like, like it's Hazel Dean, isn't it? It is, it is them, yeah. Yeah, yeah. There's Phil Hammond, there's Stock Aking Woman, there's all the regular producers. Uh, yeah. You know, it's not, not just not good enough. And when she says maybe we should call it a day, well, that's what she should have done after this <laughs> and just gone away. <laughs> Hot takes from uh, Gary there. <laughs> I'm here all week <laughs> knocking that 1988 pop number 39 Everlasting by Natalie Cole it's uh, another one isn't it she takes is everlasting forever ever yeah. and ever dreary nonsense it, not, no, it not good it just seems a bit bit pointless I mean who who bought this on 7 inch single and went bloody hell get Everlasting on again put it on the turntable son put it your, on your mum oh, sounds like that, that sounds like your mum <laughs> it sounds like your mum it really does come round and something like this would that, be on every time no, repeat Jennifer Rush would have been on not this she wouldn't have gone for Natalie Cole it would have been Christy Berg or bloody Jennifer Rush and maybe some Diana Ross but Crispy not Burger. Natalie Cole for yeah, I not, am not your lady. Yeah. <laughs> oh, I love that song. You two keep it down song. up there. <laughs> Stop moving. You are my man. Stop moving. In <laughs> <laughs> uh, at number 40, which it should have been higher, is Never Tear Us Apart by In Excess. Very good. Very good. Yeah, this is this is brilliant. This is a great track. You love saxophones. How dare you say you don't? I, I hate saxophones. Uh, I, uh, it's me. I can't stand the sound of saxophone. I just can't. I just don't get it. I'm sure it said Gary loves sax on the toilet walls at, at school, but you know. <laughs> Aye. <laughs> Hey. It's, it's, it's just <laughs> no song has ever been improved by a saxophone solo. I mean, I get it in jazz. That's China, fine. China in your hand for that kind of thing. Yeah. Um, Break, no, but it could have glass. lived without it. It could have just lived without it. They could have just not have saxophones. Like you get to the important bit where you want to get all emotional and kind of get into the mood of the song, and then some guy or woman comes on and goes. Ah! Kenny yeah. G's just topped himself. <laughs> Jesus Christ. Oh, my God. <laughs> well, if they did that, no wonder people would be annoyed if they went around doing that. Have you actually got a just... musical instrument? Are you just going to make that funny trumpet sound? Well, I knew we should have ideated. He said he was in the flying pickets. <laughs> oh, he said God, he was blowing trumpet, just... but in tiny letters it says mouth trumpet. <laughs> 
trouser trombone. If any of your your <laughs> any of your listeners can suggest any songs that have been improved with we just the addition have of the saxophone, <laughs> yeah, like, to be fair, no, no, one, but no, but the saxophone really they, works. They'd still be good without it. <laughs> just just remove it. It just uh, yeah, but the saxophone in this lasts for about half a second. It literally goes and it stops. No, oh, okay, I can live with that. It does. <laughs> yeah. I'm sure it does. It's a big song. I'm not struck on it. It is, but I'm not a big fan of that particular song. I don't like any of the versions. It is a very good the song. It was a very good one. version. A very good version, uh, which had multiple mixes by Tall Paul about 20 years uh, ago. that's right. Which is brilliant. It's close to me not liking Absolutely. that name. And he's not very tall. Oh, the am- <laughs> so he should be small, Paul. <laughs> no, because he's, he's not medium, but medium doesn't go. Yeah, but they try not small and not tall. Just medium, didn't work out for him. Medium, Paul. Does not go. <laughs> no, who've you booked? Who've you booked tonight for the club? Small Paul. Who's a pretty old small Paul? Tall Paul's hey, brother. Small Paul here. <laughs> but it was a very good version. Who's the, who's the wall wall? Average Baverage. <laughs> uh, anyway, all right. And at number forty-seven is "Cross My Heart" by Eighth Wonder. Yeah, uh, boring, boring. Just Eighth Wonder. Uh, it was uh, a bit boring, wasn't it? It's dull, <laughs> boring, boring. <laughs> just a it, it, not the eighth wonder no, of anything, to be honest. No. Never mind the world. It no. was just. I don't mind uh, the other single. I'm not scared. That was a brilliant. Uh, but that was Pet Shop Boys producing yeah. it, and I'm not scared. And the Pet Shop Boys did their own brilliant version of it. But this crossed my heart. I just hope to die, <laughs> to be honest. It's just it's very, really bad. It's, yeah, I mean, you, you, if you're going to call yourself Eighth Wonder, you have to live up to that. In some way, it's just not. Oh god, it's yeah. not right. Oh god, yeah. You, if you're going to be Eighth Wonder, you've got to have like Beyonce dancing with Stevie Wonder, mashed up with Bruce Springsteen. You know, that's brilliant. But not this. Yeah, not, not, like, this. not like that. No, no, no. Number fifty-five. Hit it up by the Wee Papa Girl rappers. Mm. And do you know who were behind this? No. The fine young cannibals without Roland. Without Roland. Without Roland. Roland. <laughs> without Roland. No Roland. <laughs> <laughs> We want we, it was no, we want it was to no help Roland. you without Roland. Not today, no Roland. <laughs> no land. <laughs> <laughs> this was actually quite a good track. I, I I think there was a multiple mixes of it, and there was it was actually quite a very good kind of a track. But you know, I I, I like this one. Here, it's up to you. Yeah. Um, <laughs> number fifty nine, one slip, <laughs> betting slip by Pink Floyd. Aye, from their chirpy, now, from their chirpy was album. Basically, <laughs> It's actually quite an uplifting album, and I have to, you know, I I did actually give this a listen to after I put the boring comment, and it it actually wasn't that bad. It wasn't. It was okay. Uh, but it, I oh. think the the thing is about this album, it, it is it is one about you know up front. I am a huge Pink Floyd fan from you know from the eighties really? onwards, and this album here, <laughs> I absolutely love this love this album. But it's a lot of the album is about texture. It's about there's a whole kind of mood piece. I mean, don't get me wrong. The album does have possibly the worst, worst Pink Floyd song of all time, The Dogs of War, which is, sticks out of the album like a sore thumb. And, but the rest of it is just for me. You know, it's not for everybody. And this song isn't going to work, uh, convert anybody into the David Gilmore years of Pink Floyd. So it is what it is. But for me, I love it. Gabe, uh, Guy Pratt's bass work on it is just incredible. It's massively overproduced, uh, but I like it. <laughs> yeah good it's the when it's in its 
I listened to this, so I thought, you know, I'll give it a, a, a boring comment because we just have the we've had those arguments loads of times about Pink Floyd, Gary. I seem to remember oh, too, too many, many. times. Too but, many um, times. So the comment was a bit flippant, but so I gave it a listen, um, and it's okay. The problem I have with it, sort of thing, is when it when it slips into those when it does those slips into those sort of um, more ethnic sections, the sort of ethnic beats and everything. It kind of I just those bits just feel ethnic. Yeah, beats? There's, there's no ethnic. There's no ethnic beats in this. There is. There's like when the drums <laughs> when the sort of main track sort of stops and those sort of weird drums kick in and it's like it's not very good. Those bits are, are really not very good. I'm pretty sure I was listening to the right track. Otherwise, there's another track by Pink Floyd that I quite like bits of, and this one is probably boring. But you know, I'm quite happy to be, uh, be wrong on either account or right on one of them. Um, but there was definitely some sort of it's, drum, it's not drum breaks. It's got it's got a really slow intro to it, hasn't it? And sort of then break then comes in, which is you no. Know, I know I know I'm just describing it every has, Pink yeah, Floyd it, song. <laughs> yeah, I'm gonna narrow that down. Well, that intro, <laughs> Pink Floyd song. You know the one with the slow intro when it, comes, before to, it comes in. Oh, that one. You, yeah, know it. <laughs> we used to go to the we used to go to that pub in Grimsby, and on the on the jukebox it had Shine On, and it was like 12 minutes long, and we put it on twice, and people would be like, "Oh, for God's sake!" <laughs> Why have you put the shine on on twice? That's like half an hour of my life uh, in God. this pub. Yeah, we had a penchant for doing that, though. We put this corrosion on about 10 times, didn't we, in the Lloyd? We did. By the way, I meant to ask you, Gary, um, you put in your little notes here that you put, I bought this in 1992. Is that bought or is that purchased from the library, as it were? <laughs> <laughs> No, I actually bought this one, and the, the purchase from the library thing is only one. As I showed you the other month, only one. It was only the Excalibur soundtrack that I failed to take back because I was. It got to the point where she thought you travelled so in time, late and, I, and I thought I was going to get thrown out the library or whatever. So I just didn't take it back, and I still have it to this day. That was from it was so late they sent, they sent knights on a quest to get it like the Holy Grail. They're still out there searching. Lancelot. <laughs> <laughs> oh, I've seen the album, Lancelot. I've seen it. It's in Gary's house, Lancelot. Lancelot. <laughs> the album has taken root in the present. <laughs> it is done. Librarians, prepare for tidy up. Knights, DJs. <laughs> the library is closing in five minutes. <laughs> But that was it. That was the one single single time that I took a record from the library. I was only 17. <laughs> you know, I was naive. I've got this image now, Gary. If you've been hoyed out like in Nick Scalibur, like an old aging version of Gary and that, that resplendent knight is there in his gold armour and you come out and he goes, all I can give you <laughs> these Pink Floyd albums. That's the, that's the one thing with yours I don't want. <laughs> I've already bought that. That was Mordred, yeah. <laughs> Mordred, yeah. Come, Father, let us play this album at last. Yeah. 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 I, think, I think I'm probably one of the few people in your 89 podcast that get all the references to Excalibur. Every single one of them. <laughs> and there's a lot. Yes, there's a lot. There is a there lot. Is a lot. <laughs> there is a lot of Excalibur. And now, that's right. Knights, gods, squires, and so on and so on. Uh, the podcast was that there, big. there was a metal band called an Al Nathrak, wasn't it? Al Nathrak, yeah. A flash metal band or yeah. from Doomcore band called an Al yes, Nathrak. Yes, there is a doom metal band, Nathrak. yeah. And it's heavily sampled on a mission remix, Sorceress Mix is Deliverance. Excalibur oh, is in my top, top five favourite films of all time. Absolutely love it. Um, <laughs> just like you like the next song, Gary. And at number 95 is Mayfair by the Choir Boys. 
Oh, I, did I say I like this one? I think I probably didn't. No, you don't. <laughs> it wasn't very good, was it? It wasn't very good no. at all. I, it's just, it's just. I don't get it. It's not for me. Yeah, I really hated really this. Bandanas and harmonicas can just f off. Shite middle America bar music. They should have beer bottles held at them for this. Probably did. Good. Yeah. Well, they were later managed by yeah. Sharon Osbourne. Queen's uh, Choir Boys. That explains a lot. That was if probably you, the punishment. If you want, if you want, if you want to laugh, by the way. A true fact this, is, I'm not making this up, they were originally called the Queer Boys and they changed their name. Oh dear, that's not good, true. is it? They, the Queer Boys? They also reminded oh me God. of, um, they looked like um, they looked like another group of tiny vampires. Yes. As well. Yes. They suffer from tiny vampirism, like the cult. Yeah, yeah. Tiny vampire. Tiny vampire. <laughs> tiny vamps. <laughs> Here comes the tiny vampires. <laughs> tiny um, vamps. I love my bear is tiny vamps. <laughs> <laughs> zoom in, zoom out. 26th of June. In at number 23, uh, I know you like this one, Gary. Don't Believe the Hype by Public Enemy. Yes. Yes, this is very played by Gary. I remember you raving, now, raving you, about this track. Years and years. I remember years ago on one of my birthdays and my dad took me to Andy's Records and we bought uh, the first album, Yo Bum Rush the Show. And we drove down to Cleethorpe and we put it on all the way and we sat there eating our chip, uh, listening to Public Enemy. And my dad didn't have a clue. <laughs> I mean, I don't, I, I don't know if I had a clue, to be honest. He's brushing his and hair he at the like, time. what is He must have been brushing his hair. Yeah, what He's is He's always this? brushing like, his hair. <laughs> so for me, Public Enemy are just the pinnacle of rap music for me. And I think, you know, when when Rolling Stone puts uh, the, the album that this song came from, it takes a nation of millions uh, to hold us back at 15 in the greatest albums of all time. You know, it is, for me, the greatest rap album of all time. You can literally, literally list the songs on this album. Bring the Noise, Don't Believe the Hype, Terminator Edge, Can We Get a Witness, She Watched Channel Zero, Night of the Living Bassheads, Black Steel, Rebel Without a Pause, Prophets of Rage. No, this is just something else. And this was just so successful because it was a basically huge f- cue to middle America, the people who didn't understand where they were coming from. And it still holds up today. The production on it, it's, I mean, some of it's a bit anachronistic. You know, I think the issues around Farrakhan and uh, Professor Griff, who eventually was chucked out of uh, Public Enemy for his anti-Semitism. I mean, there's a few things that they're, probably don't stick too well nowadays but we're talking a few things there the rest of it is just it's it's just mind-boggling good those first three albums from public enemy you know they just it was just a fire a fire of rage amongst music world you know and the enemy and the melody maker and everyone else were like shit what is this chuck d was on the front of melody maker and uh, so to me as a white guy in small town uh middle england not, not middle england if you know what i mean uh, coastal town who you know this was like amazing you know 1988 was for me the greatest year of, of, of hip-hop it was the golden age big daddy kane public enemy epmd marley mao boogie down productions uh, the british guys uh mc duke overlord x uh, it, it's just incredible what was produced in that time and it, uh, some of it doesn't doesn't stand up anymore but this don't believe the hype it takes the nation wow uh, I think I'll play it after this, I think. You know, you've still got to do the at the end of every time you say, don't believe the hype. <laughs> and, <laughs> and they, they even, they even, they even got away with having Flavor Flav, you know. Was he in it, it at this point? What? So on and so on. 
clock. Yeah, of course you clock. were. Okay, yeah. The clock. <laughs> they had these clocks because, you know, you've got to tell what time it is. What, what happened to him? Because so he ended up doing Unga Bunga Bunga G. Well, he evolved, in, he evolved into Twiggy with uh, Dr. Theophilus around <laughs> his neck. Twiggy. Tweaky. Oh, oh, Tweaky. 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 Wow, biggie, biggie, biggie. Yeah, yeah man. Yeah, Dr. Gee, biggie, Dr. Biggie, Theophilus, biggie. you know, is the clock around his neck, became self-aware, sentient, and uh, became a robot. Oh, my God. That is perfect. Sad, That's absolutely perfect. Sad, uh, sad thing. I couldn't take the credit for that. Biggie, someone biggie, our, beatbox. So, someone on our Discord put that. I wish I could remember who it was who put that, I think. But, um, but yeah. Um, so I can't. I'm not going to say. Anyway, I can't I'm a big fan. I'm a, I'm a big fan. I have to say, rightly that, so. Yes, I know. I know you are. It's not for me. Um, it never was. It just didn't speak to me in any way, shape, or form that I could understand. So rap music never has. You know, I, so. I didn't really, really. I, I had a bit of a revision of a lot of the early rap stuff. Don't get me wrong, because I remember you playing so much of it at that time, and I, I remember thinking this is this is pretty pretty good. It wasn't quite my thing at the time, but. I've done a lot of listening back, actually, on the strength of another podcast that Aidy put me onto on the, um, what's it called? Pop. Pop um, Collaborate and Listen. Pop Collaborate and Listen. They've reviewed a lot of these early albums on that podcast, and, and it's made me go back and l- listen to them talk about it and you talk about it um, now. It reminded me of that, because I went back and listened to almost all of these while I've been in the gym, and, and you know, so I've just listened back to back catalogs. It's a great place to do it. And some of these tracks on these are just on, they are fiery. I mean, they really are, really mm. are incredible stuff to listen to. The production's absolutely manic. Yeah, yeah. Really I do, I do actually like this track. I do, but... You know, it, you're talking... But, a- but there you go. It was Andy Marsh, by the way, who said the uh, tweaky thing, not me. So give me his credit. Andy Marsh. Yeah, there we go. Don't believe the hype. Uh, following up, number 34, Follow the Leader by Eric B. and Rakim. Again, Another good track. No, no, yeah, something well, I know this, nothing this about. Is a, this is a... a get- Again, this, you know, you're talking about the golden age of, of rap, and Rakim, uh, you know, the Source magazine state that Rakim is the the greatest MC of all time, and it's not hard to see why after this track, it's just absolutely fantastic. And at the end of the day, Rakim is the guy who's responsible for giving us the sample, pump up the volume. You know, <laughs> You've, he's got to be loved by everybody in the world just for giving us that. I mean, True. that's just what a legacy. And and when you watch the video. It's actually got Joe Mantegna in the video. It's obviously gangster type fella. How did he end up in this video? Just gangster in it. Anyway, it's what a, it's yeah. A, yeah, exactly. It's just like he was the cliched gangster of that age, wasn't he? Really? So he perhaps was. he was taking his yard trimmings somewhere. <laughs> <laughs> no, I said he sleeps with the fishes. <laughs> <laughs> Anyway, that's another good one. You always knew I was going to like that one. I did. I uh, knew it. Yeah, we did. Yeah, I remember you bringing them around on your little tapes, your little weird yellow and green tapes. <laughs> little, little tapes. The one fit any tape recorder. No, we'll talk about <laughs> tape recorder. Gary specialised in finding really niche <laughs> manufacturers of C nineties. <laughs> I mean, the standard TDK would never good enough for him. He'd come around and he had these weird see-through ones with yellow and green inserts. Like, where the hell are you finding these things? Probably W. H. Smith. Oh, I about. remember those. They were horrible. They were like they were like Memorex ones. I think they were really bad. <laughs> Memorex. Oh my Memorex. god. Memorex. Number forty. It must have been love by Magnum. No, no. <laughs> so much fog and curtains in that video. <laughs> oh, the, the smoke machine's clearly broken in that. <laughs> it's, all, it's, all, it's all it's all fog and curtains. It's like, it's fog what's going curtains, on? floaty curtains, and denim. So much denim. <laughs> So many ugly people wearing denim in that. It's ridiculous. The drummer's got a denim vest. 
His name's Denim. His name is Bob Denim. <laughs> what if his name's Denim Denim? Isn't there a guy called Denim Denim? Denim Elliot. <laughs> Denim, but, Denim actually, Elliot. I saw you were talking about somebody called Den- Denim De- Denim Denim. I don't know, isn't that a Bob Blondie song? And then Dead Dennis is in um, is in um, bad news. Yeah, it is. Yeah, but uh, you you like this, then Gary? I see. You, you I do. Like I do. No, I, I'm a I, I'm a bit of a sucker for these kind of power ballad type oh, things. You know, that's a terrible and power I, ballad. I, I'm sure. I'm sure everything else by this band is absolutely like. It's awful, but yeah, you're actually, right. yeah, like it. we've seen enough of it over the last few, <laughs> few weeks to say, exactly. say you're exactly right. They're the um, worst ice cream metal band there's ever been. <laughs> Absolutely. They're no feast. Um, <laughs> in at number 47, All Fired Up by Pat Benatar. Benatar. Um, Benatar. <laughs> Benatar. <laughs> um, this is ugly and cheap. The video that is song is decent. Cracking chorus to this song. I really like this. But there you go. I, I just, it, it, I, you know, Pat Ballantyre, I love is a battlefield, great. And I thought, oh, I'm gonna, I bet I like this one. And then I can't, I literally can't remember a single thing about it. I, I agree that the video looked like it was a sound check, just recorded. Yeah. And but I can't remember anything about the song. It's gone. It's gone in one eye and came out the other. It's gone. Sorry, Pat. Ah, you, you, you're using the wrong office. I <laughs> <laughs> don't remember it. Put your eye up to the speaker. It's just going to fill it with well, something. It's going to hurt your eye. It's going to hurt your eye. I can't, can't hear it. I thought this song sounded like The Pretenders before Chrissy Hind had had a stroke. <laughs> well, that went dark. I didn't say what she had stroke off. <laughs> Uh, okay. Yeah, I'm not. I'm not. Not for us. No, really, not for no, us. Uh, not for us. No. no. Uh, number sixty-three. We got the juice by Derek. We got the B. juice. We got the juice. We got the juice. We got the juice. Yeah. My name's Derek B. But uh, we got the juice. We got the juice. You know. Someone hits him on the I back. Think, he's I think, stuck. He's... <laughs> <laughs> I, I thought Derek Bolland had come to a. a, a he, he'd done very well so far, and this one I think was a was a rap track a bit too far in the Yeah, single. I didn't think it was so very good. He should have cut it. He should have cut it after Bad Young Brother or whatever. And interestingly enough, I read that, that he was signed by Russell Simmons, who was Public Enemy's manager on Def Jam Records, and maybe that's why the video is set in New York. I would guess yeah. uh, as they're trying to break him in America, uh, but it's hard because he didn't do anything after like '91 or something. He didn't do a thing. I mean, obviously he tragically died 2000 and something or the night, and he didn't do anything really. He did the Anfield rap. Which I disagree with you, Adrian. Is a bloody brilliant, <laughs> brilliant. Oh, get, piece Gary, of work, we seem, we seem to, to have lost you. Love, we seem to have lost I connection. Love, oh, what happened there? <laughs> <laughs> yeah. I, I, I love the Anfield no. rap. It's just like no. brilliant. No, him. Uh, but Derek B just disappeared. Anyway, he disappeared, and then he probably was, you know, working in an office or something, selling insurance. Walk on, Gary. Who Walk knows? on. <laughs> <laughs> uh, number eighty-four. As we get towards the end here, uh, "Sweet Obsession" by. Bonfire. Um, God, I, I didn't. I didn't even get through a minute. I didn't get through a minute. I just saw that it was shot in the marquee, like that other video. Well, we I think this is a, a new video songs. for it because it, it looked. Must be. I think it looked newer because the, the the bus they were on was a modern bus. They had mobile phones, and there was a, vo- oh, a Vodafone bag at one point. So I'm pretty sure this ain't 1988. I just remember seeing them on the marquee stage. I think they've redone it. Yeah, 
the video we found. Okay. Well, it was probably crap then, and it's probably crap now. But I do think that bus rock is an underappreciated genre. Yeah. Yes, um, I agree. So, you know, that's something maybe to explore. But Bonfire, yeah, this was a bad, bus bad song. Rock. Bus rock. Yeah, you know, filming filming rock songs on buses. I think Bonfire ended up doing a lot of, a lot of the tracks are used as end credits on crap horror movies like Hellraiser 7 or 8. <laughs> Things like that. <laughs> Clearly, yeah, probably. Bonfire of the Inanities, that's what it is. Yeah, yeah, very true. Number 96 is Limbo by Brian Ferry. I only put this in there because I know you're a big old Brian Ferry song. And I was hoping it would be that Limbo, and he was actually doing limbo in it. <laughs> I thought that, uh, you've noticed that I thought this was similar. There's there a bit of Robert Palmer's video in this for me, and this depiction of women. Yeah. Um, this just more dubious shots of women, especially the close-ups of you know torsos and boobs and stuff. It's just oh God's sake, stop it! Yeah, I mean I, I'm a big fan of, of rock music. I don't know about the song. I don't really listen to it because all I can hear is Brian Ferry. Yeah, you know, just doing being Brian but the Ferry. The Brian Ferry solo stuff is very hit and miss. He, he releases all these albums of covers, and most of them are absolutely crap. And this was not great. I don't know if it, the cover I wrote it, but it was just crap. Yeah, absolutely crap. Mm-hmm. But uh, hey ho. Finally, just to round off the section, is in at number ninety nine. Girl, you know it's true by Millie Vanilli or. Perhaps not Millie Vanilli. <laughs> no, well, it wasn't then, was There's it? That was the of, thing. Well, well, that's it. There's a lot of backstory to this, isn't it? Like, the guy behind Boney M was trying to repeat it, repeat yeah. his success. So he basically heard this song that was done by another band called Newmark, which was called Gil, You Know It's True. And he decided it was a, a very small hit in Europe. They were an American band. And he decided that he was going to remake it. And he got the two models, the two male models, who decided to jump up and down and not actually sing. So we got the other guys to sing it and uh, re-released it and made shed loads of money off it. I mean, I hope the guys at Newmark's got some bloody world because if they didn't, it's an outrage. I bet they didn't. An outrage, I tell thee. <laughs> it's an outrage, a bloody outrage. A lot of controversy surrounding it, isn't there, as well, because... I think people that should have got royalties didn't. I know that the two the two people that actually sang it got didn't get hardly any money till a lot later on. Perhaps Brad Howell and John Davis. Well, John yeah, Davis I, is I, dead I now as well. I think he died age sixty four, sixty three or four, something like that. Well, um, I hope he didn't they, die penniless. Otherwise, ugh. no, because they were they were good singers in the room, sort of you know in that kind of thing. But I don't think they got the money nearly in the money that they deserved for. Because because they tried to claim that it was the, them actually singing for a while, didn't they? A bit like the woman did in yeah, Ride right. on Time. They sort of and then they actually put them to the test. Yeah. Then when they sang it, it was you know obviously dreadful. That's even on <laughs> TV somewhere. Yeah, it is. Yeah. I remember. I remember. They're absolutely awful. It was just never going to be them singing. They were just the front. They were the front end. Could you really make a sequel to Boney M and not call it like Boney N, Boney O, <laughs> Boney P? You just got the letters. Yeah, the yeah, alphabet. Exactly. Boney O. That's a bloody dog biscuit. <laughs> <laughs> or the lead singer of uh, of um, U two could be could be Bonio when he gets Bono when he gets a bit skinny. Oh, you've lost a bit of weight, Bonio. <laughs> Can you imagine a, 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 a Bonio M tribute to? You too could be called Bonio M. You too. I was literally about to say <laughs> that. A you two tribute band mashed up with Boney M. <laughs> by the rivers of Dublin. <laughs> <laughs> oh dear. That's edgy. <laughs> Are these pictures you put of these two guys here, the singers, are these, yes. are these pictures from the time or recent? No, they're, they're more recent. I was going to say, no wonder they didn't, didn't last very long. They don't look very well. Especially him on the left. They don't look well. They may have been the one that died. They weren't classically TV friendly. It's a bit like when you see the woman that sang the right on time. I mean, an amazing singer. 
Um, and you know, but not, not the kind of, not not the kind of yeah, not the kind of figure at the time that they were going to put on TV and be a front of anything, which is a bit wrong. And we get away with it nowadays. Which is also the story behind uh, Meet the Meatloaf track, isn't it? Um, I would do anything for love, which was sung by a Sunderland woman who just did uh, test vocals. And because they hired her under that, I think it was on the Pop Collaborate. And listen, they were saying that because they hired her under that thingy, they then used their vocals in the final song because they were so good and never paid her a penny. Yeah, because she ended up doing the X Factor, believe it or not. Yeah. She ended up going on the X Factor with that story. That was her story. It was like, a, yeah. how can we can sing so well? And she was like, I was the singer in, I sang the female parts in, you know, I would do anything. Love. Like, oh, that's amazing. Yeah, three X's, you're off. Oh, <laughs> you're, not, you're not three. You're too good. Get out. <laughs> yeah, you're not, you're not, we can't make a sad story about you. You just told it. <laughs> That's the footnote. Can't remember her name now, but yeah, she was on the. I think Britain's Got Talent, The X Factor, one of those two. She resurfaced. Yeah. Amazing singer. How many pop yeah. stars have come from Sunderland? That's it's a good just, question. You know, putting, putting it out there. Bobby Sunderland, yeah. <laughs> Barry Tyneside. <laughs> Barry Tyneside. <laughs> yeah, famous. I mean, Sunderland Metal is that an uh, album I'm his, familiar with? What's his face from Sunderland? Or is he Newcastle? Uh, you know, Crocodile Shoes. You're going to say Mark Knopfler? No, it wasn't. Who, who's, was, it, who's it? Who's it? Sang Fog on the Tyne. They must be from around that way. Well, Linda's fan. Yeah, that uh, probably possibly. Well, that was, around that was, way. Jimmy Nail, he's from around that way, isn't he? Yeah, yeah, yeah. Is he Newcastle yeah. or Sunderland? Because, you know, he might come around and beat me up if I get the wrong one. Keep me yeah, in, don't keep me in the face of crocodile shoes. Yeah, he's rock hard. <laughs> Remember, he hammers, he hammers things in with his face. <laughs> Way he looks like that. Um, anyway, <laughs> that's the end, end of the singles. There's no more. There's no more to be had. There's no more to be said. There's no more to be done. Gary, thank you for coming on. Um, yes. Always a pleasure. Never a chore. <laughs> for you. <laughs> <laughs> I wish you all the best. Yeah, that's true. Just just to say, I mean, one thing I would say is that, I mean, we, we wouldn't be here. We wouldn't be recording this because it was through you that I kind of got to know Graham in a certain way. And also you were a big part of the whole um, C64 stuff, weren't you? I mean, you... Yeah, was, I loved it. I loved uh, getting parcels through the post from cracking groups and weird bods and then seeing, seeing what was on it. I found, a, I found a, a disc the other day in the loft. There was a disc in the loft, the single one disc I have left. And it was something like the sleeve was Adventure Construction Kit for the 64 or something. But it wasn't the split. <laughs> it wasn't. And then behind that, there was a single white envelope that had Nova Load Maker. What was I doing with a Nova Load Maker? Weird. <laughs> I don't know. Have you seen the film Sinister? No. You watch out finding strange stuff in your. In your, uh, in your yeah, don't, don't play that sort of thing because it'll have some images of dead kids and stuff uh, on there. All my 64 stuff disappeared. I uh, sold off years and years ago in a single batch of stuff. And I was like, and nobody said various demos or something and Nova Load Maker. But yeah, it was great. I actually, look, what's great about your podcast is it takes me back to those times. And it just, uh, I'm thoroughly enjoying going through. Uh, and listening and taking me back and going back and <laughs> working my way through all the Zap magazines again. Uh, you know, I might actually go back and try and play some of the games. So, but just to let everybody know, if they, if they want to carry on with the music conversation, you can get me on Twitter at uh, 52 Vinyl. There's my Mastodon address in my bio on Vine, uh, on Twitter. So if you want to come over uh, and talk about music and uh, various things to do with collecting CDs, records and just generally just chit-chatting. Uh, 52 Vinyl, come and say hello. We'll no. stick the uh, link to your Twitter <laughs> in the uh, show notes, of course. As cool. Well. Yeah, we cool. will. Of course, of course we will. So, uh, yeah. Cool. Well, thanks for having me. That's all right. It's good to have you on. And see yes, you for ages. It so it was, it was, yeah. it was good. 
It's good to see your sideways nice. face. Yeah, it's good to see you on the old sideways. <laughs> no one's going to get that, are they? are going to think I've got a silly sideways face or something and look like a banana. Uh, no, they're not, because I've, I've screen grabbed it. Don't you worry about that. <laughs> yeah, we've got, yeah. So it'll, it'll be seen. We'll, we'll, ta- we'll tag you in when I post it on Twitter. Okay, um, all right. So uh, there you go. Right, so we're going to let you go, Gary. We need to crack on because we've got four more shit games. No, 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 it's like some decent ones um, yeah. right. uh, to actually do actually review. Enjoy yourself. <laughs> <laughs> we'll do. See you later, Gary. See ya. Have fun. Yeah, have fun. See you later. Have fun. <laughs> <laughs> A strawberry movie ice lolly and a couple of screwballs to our show sponsor, DavidHernWriter.com, where you will find a remarkable collection of audiobooks, bargain books, ebooks, and more. David once drank a tub of bath water to get someone out of his bathroom. He's a brilliant author as well. Check out this audio chunk of his latest, Escape from the Commodore 64. You can't be taking these here cars without some form of payment. Kane walked over to them and rocked back and forth on his heels. Sarah noticed how much he moved the same way she had in the game with the zappy robots. She expected him to somersault at any moment. Well, Kane said, tapping his foot impatiently. Sarah slipped her hands into her pockets, a stance she normally took when she was preparing for an argument. Her hands hit something cold and smooth. To her surprise, her blood ran cold and excitement prickled behind her ribs. Her features lit up in a classic light bulb moment. What about diamonds? You see, I told you it was good. Now do you believe me? To grab one for yourself and indeed any of the other works from David, visit davidhernwriter.com. That's David, H-E-A-R-N-E, writer.com. It's as easy as typing in some words. And there you go, after, after that... Do I need to? Uh, yeah, after God Lord, I'm all of a, I'm all of a flutter. We've had a guest on, and it sent me all of a weirdness. Anyway, let's. We've got some more games. We're back into our games. We've got four more to get through um, in this section um, before we round out. So uh, let's get into them. Our first one uh, is budget release. We've got some budget releases in this part. Our first one is Train Robbers. This was one pound ninety nine. Ninety percent. This got a silver medal. Silver medal. Great. Shiny. Shiny. Mm, not content with the $4,000 bounty on his head for train robbing, Cactus Pete continues his railbound thieving, climbing aboard trains, making his way to the safe carriage, dodging dogs, robbing safe, then making his escape while avoiding the chasing posse. Life as a train robber gets increasingly harder as each subsequent robbery adds more challenges to the mix. How many trains can you rob and keep Cactus Pete in the fine dining and cuisine that he has become accustomed to? This was developed by Andrew F. Holdroyd, published by Firebird on their budget label, as I said, for £2. When the game starts, we have a jaunty train sounding tune by Rob Hubbard. Is odd. Which, Very uh, early Hubbard. Which, yeah, which sounds oddly out of place in 1988, resembling more of his tunes from early 85. Things like Action Biker and Thing on a Spring come to mind. That's uh, when it was composed. Is it? Certainly sounds like his original player in action here. Was this, what was this, do you know any background on this piece of music? It's one of the pieces off the final synth sample that he did. I think he did two or three of those and it's one of the early ones on them. I could ask the guru, but I'm pretty sure it's off one of those because there's a couple that sounded very, you know, Western style, for want of a better description. And it's on final synth sample. It weirdly fits. Because if it's not composed that, because it has a you know that woo woo like train he did, sound he did, and a, he did a series of tunes on that particular synth sample that are themed like a western. So. Ah, so how did they get older this then? Do you think they just rented it off, bought it off him, or probably? Just... Yeah, I guess then they just you know it was dotted about. It been that that final synth sample demo that he released had been doing the rounds on CompuNet for ages. So it must ah, be off that. right, okay. Cool. Anyway, all right. So a stab at the fire button, and we're into the game. Cactus Pete is riding his horse slowly beside a railway track. 
Be careful, though, as running into a cactus will send Pete spinning from his saddle and losing one of his three lives. In the distance, mountains scroll past and we can hear an approaching train. The view is from the side, uh, left to right scrolling, with a pseudo 3D effect offered with some nice parallax scrolling in the far background and the near ground as well. Quite good. Once the train catches up to us, we have to position our horse level with the ladder on the first carriage by matching the train speed. This is trickier said than done because you've got to avoid the cactuses and match the train speed. You've got to be dead on with the ladder as well. Slightly to the left, slightly to the right, and you ain't climbing on it. If you're once done, though, you can move the horse up to the train, press up and fire, um, and you can climb the ladder to get onto the roof. At this point, Pete has to make his way down the carriages by jumping over the gaps between them. Missing one will send Pete to the floor below and another life will be lost. Every now and then the train will enter a tunnel and Pete must lie flat by holding down the fire button and not move the joystick. For if you let go or move, Pete will be bounced between the tunnel, top of the tunnel and the train and lose another life. Once out of the tunnel, we can get back up and continue to the back of the train and get inside. Here we can see the safe. Well, it needs to be robbed, but it's guarded by two patrolling dogs. Pete must navigate a maze of crates, get the keys, get to the safe to use them and then make it back to the ladder that you climbed in on and get back outside. Once done, Pete must navigate his way back to the front of the train, drop off onto his horse, don't miss, or you lose another life, and don't miss any jumps again, and then race away. Here you are chased by sheriffs and must avoid or shoot them until you get away and your filthy loot is converted into points and Pete heads off to rob another train. They get harder as you go, with cacti now placed at various heights at the bottom of the screen, so instead of just at one one level, so you've got sort of dodging and out between them. Tunnels, they come faster. They come faster, so they're not quite just, they're quite spaced out to start with, but they get faster and faster. Telegraph poles appear, or or signal poles, whatever they are, to, to jump over. Um, and eventually Native Americans running, uh, riding parallel with the train fire arrows at you. Just how long can you survive? As this is an endless game and you just keep going until your last life is gone. So this has clearly been influenced by the Looney Tunes cartoons. And indeed, I thought if you stuck the Yosemite Sam license on this, I don't think anyone would have batted an eyelid. This ter- the tone is comedic. Uh, take note. Uh, three stooges with pete falling off his horse or the train getting pancaked if you don't duck for the tunnel bouncing around inside the tunnel if you mess up there sort of made to jump around by the dogs and things like that it's all quite amusing and well done the deaths are very sort of looney tunes-esque sort of roadrunner-ish the graphics are a bit on the blocky side but they do work which is cool um and have plenty of character the animation on the horse is okay the animation on the pete is two frame but it works it has it has a style it has a look to this that works it doesn't go for ultra realism it just goes for this slightly sort of cartoony aesthetic and it all seems to work um it has plenty of character this is nice it's it thematically consistent everything looks the part as it's supposed to there's nothing trying to sort of be realistic it just looks okay and it works. The scrolling is smooth. And so where the technical aspects of this are really good, the scrolling is smooth. The parallax scrolling is nice. The way the train comes on is good. Um, you know, it moves at a pace. Everything is fast and responsive. And the various deaths will raise a chuckle most of the time and have you cursing and coming back for another go. The sound effects are good. The sound of the train. I really like the way the train uh, sound changes. You go through the tunnels, gets deeper. And, and that's a really nice touch. So, and, you know, that train sound is really good. Really good. I really enjoyed that. It's got various other sound effects as well. They're not too annoying. It's just, um, you know, it's all good. But it, it, it's got some issues. Most of these games do. It's a budget game. So, you know, let's let's address them as well. The opening to each level is too long. Just jogging on your horse with little to do as you wait for the train to catch up gets a little dull, especially when you're learning the game um, and you die a lot. So you go through this kind of opening 15 seconds, 15, 20 seconds, where you're just waiting for the train. Oh, come on. I just want to get back. Needs just needs to be a little bit more snappy, a little bit faster. Got to get back into the action quicker. 
The collision detection on the jumps between the carriages is a little tight, um, and I quite often, I w- and quite often, I would fall despite thinking I'd made the jump. I think it's a bit if jump, maybe a little bit bigger, or the collision detection not quite so tricky. Just because you know you go out, you're back onto the horse if you fall down at that point, and oh, it's like ah, oh, frustrating. Um, and I thought the section where you have to avoid the dogs was twitchy as well. They they just it's yeah. a bit all over the place, and it's a bit hard to navigate the maze. So you know, but there, there are some issues, and usually a little bit in the controls. But overall, though, this is solid bargain fodder. Uh, it plays well mostly. It keeps you to its simple core idea: robbing trains. You know, the different sections all work well together to make a varied and entertaining package. And this is certainly another in a long line of budget titles showing up the full price stuff that we've seen in the first half by just being simply better than them. This is he only made this game by the looks of it. I think he worked on one other. I can't remember which. But this is it. He just made this game. There's a note on um, Lemon64 about someone says, oh, he was my dad's mate and just learned, learned to do it and just made this game. Um, it's kind of odd. This I thought this was fun and frustrating in equal measures, but good frustrating, addictive, addictively frustrating. Yeah. I just wanted it to start quicker <laughs> as I died a lot on the opening section. But um, I can see why they gave this 90%. For two quid, you'd be well in with this. Um, and there's, like I said, mm. each train gets more harder to rob. You, and it's a, it's one of those games that just keeps going. So you challenge and just keep challenging yourself to try and get it, and you mess up. And when you, you know, when you get pancaked by a by a, a tunnel, it's funny. There's, it's funny. It's a Looney Tunes game but, uh, in all, you know, in essence. And I think you know this. It works. I enjoyed my time with this. Good fun. What about you? Yeah, same. Ride, ride. Um, there's there's cracking little game in here. Like you say, frustrating but good frustrating. Really cartoon-like qualities. There's hints of the film Cactus Jack in here, I think. Yeah, that's another good pull. Yeah, yes, yeah. So I think somebody's definitely watched that when they played it because that's very like this. I definitely recommend that. It's got Arnold Schwarzenegger, that playing Handsome Stranger, I think. Yeah, it's very funny, that film. It is very funny. Um, and the sprites, yes, they're on the blocky side, but so what? They're still better than Gunsmoke. Um, there's <laughs> bags of gameplay here. Loads of fun for budget money, this. I liked it. Liked it as soon as I played it. I was into it. I was into the. You know, it isn't a difficult game to read the intentions of getting on top of the trains. Is a bit tough at the start, and I was like you say, those delays. That's the most annoying thing about it. That really is the one thing that I, if I could change anything, I'd say change that, and it would. This game would be absolutely brilliant for what it is. Mm-hmm. But that's a small yeah. niggle. Outside of that, it's got a really good old Hubbard soundtrack, like you said, Wild West inspired. Sounds really good. Fits this perfectly, even though it, two things are years apart. Some very simple fun to be had from the mechanics that are kept simple. Hazards that are indestru- are in, aren't insurmountable once you just got to get used to the way things work. Um, enough playability to keep your queen back. For £2, this is an absolute budget gem. Showing how things should be done. Keep it simple. Keep it fun. For £2, take note, Lee Enfield. This is how <laughs> you do a game. Even at two quid, it's streets ahead of Lee Enfield and a lot of others. So really good. Well-deserved at 90%. And take note, Three Stooges, this is funny. Yeah, it's just comedy. Yeah, it is, yeah. yeah, there is. The animations are really funny on that. Yeah, and I love the uh, when you go in the tunnel and it's all just black with the sound effects and yeah. you see the little eyes just laying there. Yeah. You're like, because it's really tense. You're like, uh, keeping the buy <laughs> button held down. You're like, don't let go, don't let go. It's really good detail in that. Yeah. Really good idea. It's just well put together. Someone had a really good idea and they made it. Yeah, and technically, it's technically it's sound as well. Like I said, perhaps yeah. a little bit twitchiness in some of the controls, but that scrolling's really nice, and the speed. Yeah, of the, it when the, the train comes on, and the way the horse and the train work together, it's really clever stuff. Yeah, very clever. There we go. Yeah, yeah, good. I think this yep. fully deserved its silver medal. Um, bang on, Bob's yep. out there. I think train robbers yep. two quid. That's a nice one to start with after the yes. foul effluence we had in the first part. Cool. Let's move on. Let's hope this high quality continues. Does it continue, Graham, as we enter Vampire's Empire? God's sake. 
Right, okay. If I told you that this was developed by MicroPartner, which is the same people that make Clever Unt Smart. Oh, hey. Yes, that might <laughs> give you an indication of where we're heading, which road we're going down. Yes, Naff Avenue springs to mind. <laughs> Shit alley. 20, 20% this scored in Zap. Uh, musician was George Brand. The idea was Rolf Lacamper La- 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 and Bernard Morel. The program is, is by Michael Oisey, Jörg Prenzing, and Gilbert Siegmund. The graphics were by Bernard Morel and Stefan Risman. Mm. So this is another game that must be lost in translation. Must be. Right. Must be. Because I'm going to read you some stuff. <laughs> this is the poem. This is the poem from the introduction on. These are all this what I'm about to go through is all from the instructions. I had to d- include these because they're absolutely bloody hilarious. Because if either either these are written by in in crazy, the language of crazy. <laughs> or that and the bad translation. So the poem is this. O oh, powers of light, hark the prayers of one illuminated. They laughed and made fun of me and and they threw rotten eggs at me. <laughs> Honestly, this is it. O oh, powers of light, only you know what wrong has been done to me because he is indeed, or don't you believe? Okay. O oh, powers of light, I have found his lair. I have found the way to destroy him. I have found garlic that smells bloody awful. Honestly, this is the this is, is the that poem. In there? Yeah. Oh god. Oh, powers of light, please hold your hands protectively over me bald head. <laughs> this is honest to God. Show me the way for my tottering weary feet and all the rest of the old cobblers. Ugh. Right. That's that's right. That honestly is the poem in it. That's no. That gets you into the mood. Okay. Anyway, and get this. This is also from the instructions. Listen to what I found out about the blood sucking demons who are generally called vampires. In my early youth, I found curious as I was an old book that told of vampire demons. These words turned out to be the right impetus of my feverish brain. Thus, I decided to become a well-known vampirologist. Oh, what a gruesome way I had to go. Colleagues laughed at me, but in a short time indeed, my research threw a bright light on the dark ways of these horrible little sods. (laughs) Words from the instructions. What the hell? Um, Oh, you won't believe what a rich variety of half-human monsters I found. There are horrible-looking scoundrels with enormous heads, who lake delight in frightening harmless dungeon wanderers by shouting obscenities and playing at being windmills. She's honest to cut the words. Even worse are handsome blonde young chaps with curly hair who approach unsuspecting people from behind with devious intentions. Beware the extreme desires of these rotters. You will, of course, find lots of other rotters called ordinary vampires, or in Latin, vampirus trivius, hanging around in dark dungeons as well. But the most terrible of all horrors are the female demons wearing lots of practically nothing, who prance around in halls and caverns, showing everybody their great big um, attractions. And even I had great and very embarrassing difficulties not to submit to their spells. <laughs> this I shall tell. Of great variety are the temptations and dangers that face the researcher who dares to enter the vampire demon's realm. Until now, I've only found only one means to put off the horribles. Garlic. If you hang up close of garlic in hallways or rooms, it will stop the unholy. And if you throw a clove of garlic and hit one of the horribles, amen. But ordinary garlic will not stop the most horrible of horrors. Yes, you guessed it. I'm speaking of the fearsome Count Dracula. Horrible beyond description. I may mention that I myself am going to face him soon, and I can do that only because I found a way to destroy him. It's the light of day which will put an end to him. By using mirrors and a crystal ball, I will attempt to direct a light ray into the deepest caverns of his subterranean realm, and with the help of the powers of light, I may succeed in extinguishing this terrible nightmare from the face of the world. <laughs> well, this is in a WTF league of crazy all of its own. <laughs> <laughs> subterranean realm. Dracula was known for his castle. I don't remember it, it really living 
and coming, you know, I suppose, he, you know, I, don't, let's not even go down the crazy no, path, you know. Best, best just, just, just let it go. Let it go. So the object of the game is to kill Count Dracula with light reflected from mirrors. To do this, you must explore the 160 multi-directional scrolling screens slash staircases, kill any of Dracula's <laughs> buddies that you come across, which includes snakes, naked women and blonde men and rats. <laughs> Find and use the balls of light to deflect onto the exit blocks, which you must also stand on. And, well, I got lost at that point. Yeah. I genuinely, after that, I don't know. There's some kind of UI at the bottom of the screen that indicates your current health displayed as a vial of blood, the score and time remaining, and your list of objects, which you can use for something. No idea what, what they're for. No. For something. The upper part of the screen is the game window with a pretty well-drawn and animated main sprite, it has to be said. The main, the yeah. main sprite is, for some reason, quite well-drawn. Nothing to do with this idea, because you're actually playing Van Helsing in this, believe it or not. Yeah. Though, for some reason, Van Helsing is here portrayed as some kind of wizard. Uh, the backgrounds are a complex series of staircases and routes with walls you will bounce off. The joystick controls your player, which also controls the scrolling, which occurs when you reach the edge of the screen, too close to the edge. Van Helsing also kind of skids to a halt as he walks and runs, which is really annoying because you want to control this and you can't with any degree of nuance. So you end up going past the things you've after half the time you want to actually go down or up the staircases. Mm-hmm. Um, the level was for me pretty much totally empty, other than the stairs and the walls. Yep. I just kind of walked around and on rare occasions bumped into something which drained my life a little. If that drains all the way, it's game over. I think I don't know. I don't understand what this is. I feel terminally. It feels terminally unfinished or in some kind of demo state where there there isn't much of a game logic or is yet waiting for the game logic to be added uh, to be added i really struggled to find a game in it i mean the overcomplex idea and the stupid description and the crazy controls and the general look and feel were all a total mismatch nothing in this makes any sense whatsoever nothing what i was looking at was a wizard in a series of tunnels with staircases what i wasn't looking at was van helsing looking for vampires <laughs> yeah. i tell you that much yeah. it made absolutely no sense Unless my idea of vampires and vampires is very different to everyone else's, then I'm assuming that this, this game was not what it was set. It did not end how it started out. So this was no way a vampire game raced around Van Helsing and Dracula. This started out as a wizard game and something else, and it got changed. Somewhere along the line, this got deviated. This is a wizard wandering around stair, stair, some stairs, practically doing nothing, periodically releasing some kind of egg, and then just wandering around some more, following some dots. I occasionally throw a garlic, I think. Um, it's just a stupid full price piece of shit, this. It's utterly dreadful, again, in every way, except the main sprite, which was actually well drawn and animated. Other than that, no idea what the hell this is. It's just rubbish. The full price, though, some suckers got robbed again for the money. Can you imagine if you got this, the Three Stooges, and um, <laughs> Lee Enfield for Christmas? No. <laughs> Jeez, what a, what a triple whammy that would be. I mean, what did you make of this? Gah. <laughs> Gah. Just no, don't let me get that close to the edge of the screen before scrolling it. Just do not do that. Don't make me slide downstairs. Don't make falling from anywhere put me in a heap with annoying animation. Don't make my weapons powerless against anything. Don't make all the screens look exactly the same. So navigation <laughs> soon becomes a nightmarish wander around boring black backgrounds. Don't make things grab me from the floor and stop me moving for no reason. Don't make apes bounce around stupidly. Don't make games like this. A boring, dull wanderathon <laughs> don't. that yeah, don't. A boring, dull wanderathon that impresses neither visually or orally. This was a trudge around the same screens and felt dull and uninspired. And since when was Van Helsing armed with a bloody crystal ball? Stake, <laughs> hammer, crucifix. This is not hard to get right. All ammunition for my uh, my general thesis. <laughs> which is this is not and never was yeah. a game about vampires. Don't go off into your own stupid world taking liberties with the Dracula story. And why does Van Helsing look like he's moonlighting from Feud? Yeah, exactly. With a hooked nose. 
yeah, awful, boring sludge. <laughs> it's utterly shite. It's really it's dreadful. I don't think this vampire... And what does vampire's empire mean? There's no empire. It's just 100, 160 screens, you think. Oh, God. And then it's the same. <laughs> yeah, it's one screen 160 times. Yeah, it's just the same. <laughs> and then an ape appeared and jumped around a bit. And then I got yeah. grabbed by something. And then I fell off and bounced off a wall. It's like, oh, this is dreadful. No one played this. Oh, they no. did. They're fools. Awful. No. This was terrible. Bloody crap. Oh, God's sake. What is going on this week? <laughs> Some of the worst shit I've seen in ages. Yep. Oh, uh, the category is getting rapidly crowded for worst game at the end really of this year. It really is. Yeah, it really is. Let's move on. Hopefully the next one. It's, it's budget but it's budget ones from here on out, so hopefully these will be all right. Uh, Subterranea, Subterranean Chasms. And speaking of Subterranean Chasms, we're now into Subterranea. Uh, this is three quid, 74%. Uh, it's another release from Racket. And this time, Huge Bins is all over this one, doing not just the artwork, but the coding as well. In fact, this is the only game he coded that I could see, um, although he obviously did graphics for loads of others. So, mm, Huge yeah. Bins. Um, Jonathan Dunn did the music and sound as well. Um, so this is, you know, Jonathan Dunn and Hugh Bins. It sounds that's a good pairing, isn't it? It's, you know, quality, quality yeah, artists, quality, quality, quality music. So according to the Zap Review, which is the only mention of the story I could find, mining equipment has gone haywire and demanded a better life. The robots have basically gone on strike and go, we're not having this. The answer to this is fly your spaceship in and blow the bloody crap out of all the striking machinery. <laughs> Friend to the unions, this game is not. <laughs> It's like they go on strikes. So what do you do? Kill them, blow them up. Like, uh, me. That seems a bit harsh. It's like could just you know maybe go to the negotiating table, have a bit of a chat, see if you get a bit a of a dialogue bit. going. Don't know. Anyway, anyway, this is so irrespective of that because that's all nonsense and it's just gump. I don't even know if Zap made it up or not. I don't know. So this is a side-scrolling left-to-right shmup in the mold of many other games we've seen like this. Most uh, most calling to mind design apps and IO. I think. Probably those two with its tight quarters, yeah, and, yeah. Uh, quite tight quarters and look and feel. There's a decent title screen, nice bold logo, some credits, and a decent piece of music by Mr. Dunn. So you know, it looks all right from the front. Nice scrolling message and stuff. Pressing fire kicks things off, and we're straight into the blasting action. Your craft is on the left, the landscape skulls on from the right, and mining robots, or should we just say sprites, enemies, because they don't look like sprites. mining robots to me. Uh, appearing waves, and you just have to survive and make it through the sixteen levels. Presence the sixteen levels. This just get from you know, just get to the end. That's it, really. The first thing you'll notice is the speed of fire or lack of it. It's too slow again. I'm fed up of having to say this about these bloody games. You also have a um, yep. you know one bullet on screen just too slow it's too slow um this is exacerbated actually but something that comes later which i'll, which I'll, uh, I'll come up to you've also got for the opening section uh, a shield spinning around you as well that's a nice touch because should you die at least you get that back the ui at the bottom of the screen shows your score um the the level number you're on the number of the level you're on the energy left in your shield because as soon as you come on the, the it's, it instantly starts to count down so you can see how long you've got that you're invulnerable for so that's quite handy and there's your number of lives that count down from three as you progress you'll find your way blocked by force field so there's as you progress basically scrolls to left and right there's enemies that come on you can shoot them there are other uh, blocks as well as like a, this force field. Uh, there's like a nearby button. Um, you have to shoot that to turn them off for a short period, allowing you to get through them. Um, there are also growths. Kind of, they reminded me of uh, Nemesis or Salamander, where there's these bits of sort of 
landscape you have to blast through make a sort of tunnel of yourself through um and you've got to get through the gaps should you progress far enough through a level and for absolutely no discernible reason it will just tell you that you've completed it did you know yeah, true it, it just true, yeah, just, just stop well, well done. done i was like there's still enemies coming on i was like hey this is weird um and it takes you to a bonus screen where you've got to shoot three glowing points on an enemy on the right uh, of, the, of the screen as it's filled up with small bubbles and it's really easy <laughs> really yeah, simple it was a bit, was and a bit th- simple do this and you get an extra life and continue fail and you just continue one thing to note here is that you can fire as fast as you can hit the fire button so in this part you can really lace the fire button it. Fi- yeah and it, and it it suddenly feels for this bit like a proper shoot up it's like this bit feels great and then you back out to the normal game and it's like poo 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 <laughs> <laughs> no doubly annoying that you can't do this in the main game and and that's about it levels float by end sequences are done and you'll probably die a few bits there are no power-ups to collect at all so there's nothing there's some enemy boxes in really awkward places and they turn your shield back on there's no bosses that to speak of just these sort of end sort of mid you know end end sequences where you gotta try and kill this thing or hit these power things um and get an extra life the levels look great. You know, the, the graphics are really nice. Some of the later ones are really smart. Uh, it's usual high quality from huge bins. The game feels incredibly lackluster and dull to play. It feels unfinished, like it's about 80% done and awaiting the final pass to add in the bits to really lift it up. It reminds me of Tanium um, in that the base here is, you know, the base is here for a decent shooter, but it's been shoved out the door too quick. The presentation on this is great. Good visuals, good front end, great sound. And you even move quick enough so that, you know, I've got no problems in any of that. That's all good. We've said so many times that you move too slow, you fire too slow. At least here you can actually move around stuff. And the enemies are really easy to avoid. <laughs> they barely, they don't do anything. They don't shoot at you. They just kind of yeah. meander on, go, come on in waves, go nowhere near you, stay on the left and go. <laughs> you don't really have to do a lot in this game. It just feels really flat. If you gave this some Nemesis-style progression, like a few extra weapons, tweak the enemy waves a bit, had them shooting at you or being a bit more, you know, uh, whatever, tune up the collision detection, it's a bit off at times. And, you know, make those end screens into bosses with a bit of tweaking, um, which you could have done. You know, you transport it to a boss bit and you're shooting them for a boss and they're shooting at you and stuff like that. And there's a bit, you know, something there. I think you'd have a decent shooter here. It's that last 20%. It's just missing where all those pieces could have been added added to really lift this. As it stands... We just have a boring, cheap, good-looking shooter. And boring, I think I've said this before, should never be an adjective used to describe a shoot-em-up. Not ever. You should never be bored in a shooter. Not ever. Shouldn't happen. You should be waiting with anticipation, but you should never be bored playing it. And that's the problem with this. And so it's almost there, this. 74% they gave it, which I think is probably for the visuals and sound, probably, because there's very... And it's it's three quid. All right, fair enough. I get it, but it's frustrating because you know there's. I think there's a there's a core of a decent game here. It's just missing the end. Someone said, "Oh, we need to put it out." Oh, but I've got all these plans for it, and they're going to come in now. And you got time, put it out. Or maybe it just this was all that was made. I don't know, but it feels it feels unfinished. That's what I thought. What about you? Same, really. No, some nice background and sprite graphics here, but they just couldn't either malfunctioning and a buggy shoot 'em up. Really, yeah. half decent presentation, demo like. Really, at the beginning with that big scrolly and all that. Then into the game, which is kind of a badly engineered side-scrolling shooter with doing nothing particularly interesting. Um, It does have nice graphics. There's no denying that they are. They look really nice and it plays okay-ish. Enemy patterns seem the same over and over again. They're not very challenging. Backgrounds become somewhat impossible to navigate really at times because they they really are quite, you know, tricky to navigate. Um, Some of the areas you needed sort of bigger trigger switches because you have to shoot the trigger switch to sort of open the door. But that's, you know, that's just part of the way the game works out. 
just, it is quite bitty in that respect. The levels just seem to end, like you said. Just end. Level ended. Oh, okay. Just get into that. Yeah, it's, still scroll- it's still scrolling on, isn't it? It's still coming. Yeah, it's weird. It just ended. And it ended weirdly. It got to like a door I couldn't get through. I'm like, am I going to die? Or is it going to, you know, it's end of level. Anyway, you get to the bonus screen, shoot the dots in it, really, that. Um, but yeah. at least you can shoot them fast. 16 more levels of that. It didn't capture my interest. It's okay. Controlled okay. Nice graphics. But in the end, it felt incomplete. Very buggy. Well, not very buggy, but buggy enough to make me think this not something's not finished here. Yes. And underwhelming, even for three quid. Tanium had similar problems, as he was right yeah. pointing out. So, yeah. But a little underwhelming. Another budget shooter that, with a few tweaks, could have really been something, I think. This look, this had a really nice look and feel. But, yeah. And the sound's good as well, music and everything. It's just, it's just not, not finished. Quite there. It's yeah, not it's finished. Just, yeah, yeah, it's not. And all those like the buggy, the tweakiness, you know. I think you know, give it that extra an extra month could have ironed all them yeah. things out and added in some bit of playtesting because it, it yeah. seems like as well. It seems on the uh, UI, the score is massive. It's like this, it's almost like there's a gap on the UI for something like some yeah, kind of power up or something in there, and it's just it's just yeah. not there. Weird, yeah, strange one this. But yeah, no mind anyway. There's Subterranea, three quid, just not finished. Shame really. Let's move on. We've got one more left. Graham. Oh no. It's oh right. no. <laughs> <laughs> this is uh Silverbird. Yes. Um Silverbird release of a sensible. See sensible software. It is. So Chris Yates and on the programming, code sound duties, John Hare on the graphics. So uh, 80% this scored in Zap. It's a bit of a it's a good old fashioned 360 degree scrolling shooter, this very simple. Um we've had a few over the episodes. This one follows the gen- the same general trend, created and sold to Silverbird. This was for two thousand pounds all in. Um this game didn't sell very well, apparently, but was released after as a breather after shooting construction kit. Mm, can see why. Uh, it was somewhat based on the 1980 Cinematronics arcade game called Ripoff, where you need to stop enemy tank poachers from stealing your precious triangles housed in their pen by shooting them with your special tank. That game is played in a top-down view and is all vectors. You can go and check that out on uh, YouTube. We'll put the link oh, in the show okay. notes. What's that called again? It's called uh, Ripoff. Oh, never heard of it. <laughs> by, okay. by uh, a 1980 Cinematronics arcade. Um, so in I'll Know, you're in control of an initially controlled brain-linked ship slash steed called Badjack. And your job is to raise, breed, and protect your herd of digital oxen from rustlers. So instead of triangles, you've got oxen. <laughs> yeah, it's very odd. <laughs> anyway, the oxen are here presented as quasi-religious orbs, that's how Zap describes them, that roam around the eight multi-scrolling worlds. This is all set in the year one million AD, and you are equipped with a laser and a boomerang weapon with which you must protect your oxen. Every so often, a parent oxen will appear, and when they when you destroy that, it creates a new baby oxen. When you have cleared nine alien waves, you're on to the next world. If you lose five of your oxen to the poachers, it's game over. That's it. <laughs> That's yeah. the logic of the game. Nice That's, and simple. Yep. The game is played top-down, so in a similar way to um, the arcade ripoff, uh, but it's played top-down with un- unusual sprites and kind of strobing backgrounds, referred to as shit by uh, Chris Yates, and John Hare in their sensible software book. Um, <laughs> that's what they describe it as. They, didn't, they never saw these things as anything other than what exactly what it was. This was just two grand in the pocket, very quick, very quick kill. The main window is the 360 scrolling game with which your, which your ship scoots around constantly on the move. On the right is your UI that indicates the zone you are currently in, your radar view, the number of oxes you have 
and your score. I guess you described the style of the graphics as more on the easy-to-draw side of sprite design, but they kind of work in the context of what it is, being a budget game and all, and it all moves around really nicely, no problems with any of that. One thing you can say about this game, however kind of strange it is, is that it works. There are no bugs, it is polished, it is finished, it's just very, very simple. But it's two quid. We've spoken to John here about this, and he sees these games, and rightly so, as they were just two quid games, so... You get what you get for two quid. This is two two quid's worth of sensible software. Mm. So it, that, and that's what it is. I think there's some interesting design choices in here. In the sensible book, in the sensible book, um, he describes some of a couple of these things about the game, how they balance this game. Your ship is invulnerable in this game and just bounces off aliens. And your boomerang weapon is actually a more simplified way of killing your enemies, meaning you require less specific aiming. They did that to try and balance it out a bit. So that's kind of how you do it. Kind of how it works, really. Um, so it's less about you being punished with collisions and bumping into things and more about keeping those pesky oxen around, which is kind of a clever way of controlling the action. Mm-hmm. Um, with those additions, what is here is two quids worth of scooting and blasting with a weird sensible style twist, and I quite liked it, I have to say. You can't really moan for the money. But what's um, apparently it's not one of their bestsellers at all. In fact, I don't think they made any money off it whatsoever, apart from the two grand. I don't think it sold many. It says in the book, you know, we know this didn't sell it. Nobody bought this. It was the one that nobody bought. Um, but it lives in the gap between Shootable Construction Kit and Micro Pro Soccer. It's playable, anarchic fun. Doesn't take itself too seriously at all, but still delivers on its central premise in a polished, simple way. I quite liked it. I think 80% is probably about right, actually, for what it is. Surprised it didn't do a little bit more business. We've had a lot worse 360-degree scrolly shooter games that were tried to cram in far too many features and didn't work. This is actually as simple as it gets. You know, it's a, it's a, it's a, it's a castle rustling game, essentially, yeah. Cattle herding game. Mm. Um, and until I saw the ripoff cinematronics arcade on YouTube, it just, it never, as soon as you see that, you're like, that's exactly where they've got the inspiration from. You can see it straight off the bat without that. They even say so in the book. I liked it. I liked it. It was good. What about you? Yeah. 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 Same. It's another budget release to cleanse the palate from sensible software. And this is very enjoyable indeed. I, I I didn't know the ripoff thing. I thought there was some kind of multi-directional scrolling defender. Um, yeah, that's, that's probably hints of that as well. They were very influenced by arcades. Yeah, you know, even, it's so. uh, you know like the aliens coming along and nicking the pe- people yeah, yeah, and then totally. take away, and you have to get to them and protect them and save them. I thought that, that you know, and now once you figure that out, it all clicks into place. Because at first I was like, oh my god, what the hell is going on? I didn't yeah, know, but it didn't take me long to tell me about you know thirty seconds or a minute sort of to, to figure it out and go, oh, all right, okay. So whipping around as a teardrop because I don't know what you were like a teardrop. Shooting all kinds yeah. of weird and wonderful aliens to try and steal your oxes is fast, frantic, and fun. The presentation as ever with sensible software is top notch. The music throughout is unusual and good. It's Chris Yates, isn't it? Who did the music? Yeah, he did it all, yeah. Yeah, it's, yeah. it's really interesting, quite interesting, good music yeah, yeah. in this as well. I liked it. Yeah. Uh, the in game visuals are sharp. Everything moves smoothly at a fast pace, and the high score table is odd and funny with a really well animated snake. Yeah, it is. Well, everyone raves about that particular thing about that. It is really well animated. It's a really well animated turning snake. It's really unusually ugly, but really smooth. And uh, it feels like a game that Minter might have made, I thought. Yeah, but yeah, yeah. But but this gets the balance right between odd and playable far more than anything Minter has ever done, in my opinion. I've preferred I this agree. to any Minter game I have played. This is better. If they were yeah. emulating Minter, and I don't, and I probably think that there's some elements of that in in what in their yeah. style, they got it better. They did it. They did it better, in my opinion. I agree. Um, I really enjoyed this um, and found some sorely needed blasting action here after some of the dross mm. this week. This was a nice yeah. thing to have at the at the back end, just to sort of brainless blasting. Hurt, you know, same. And I like the way that 
the map, the way you would play it, because the map's just a map, but you see the dots of where your things are and then they're getting tricked away so that you'd be focusing on different areas of the play, playing field and you'd be trying to sort of herd them to cheat them together so you could stay in one thing, but then one would get yeah. taken away and you'd be like, oh crap, we're trying to get over there and then another one would get dragged away. That, 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 that sort of mechanic and the way that that plays out, it's really good. I'd definitely play this again. I really enjoyed this. Thought this was great. Um, yeah, one of the probably the best we've played this. Um, maybe train robbers. This and train robbers are pe- yeah, stand- standouts this week by by a country mile. And yep. the fact that they're both two quid, crazy mad. Uh, but yeah, I, I enjoyed this. I didn't know what to. I didn't know what to expect from this. I knew it was like one of their cheap budget ones. Like uh, what was the other one? Galaxy Birds. Yeah. Um, but. Um, yeah, this was fun, but it looked. I, I did think that at first. I thought they'd, they'd probably draw the sprites with that whatever they'd created for shoot construction kit because they look like the mm. sprites in there. So why would you not? You built that routine, but yeah. I don't know. Maybe they didn't. Maybe they did. But it's yeah, really good. Oh no, good game. Don't know why it's called Oh No though. <laughs> no idea. Who knows? Because um, it's not Get Off, whatever it was called. <laughs> yeah, probably <laughs> Rip Off. Yeah. Oh no. Um, yeah, good stuff. And there we go. That's it. Oh, what a what a week. What a week. That's it. Um, okay, what do we look at? Impossible Mission 2, which it's not for us, is it? No, it's certainly not the best, second best game in the world. <laughs> it's not so. for us. Um, it is better than Lee Enfield in the Tournament of Death, though. Strangely, that's possibly one of the worst games in the world. <laughs> yeah, there's a bit of a couple there. Uh, and then one of the most, uh, well, the most enjoyable time I've ever had loading. In yeah, the three the stooges. loadiest, unfunniest game ever award goes to. <laughs> the three stooges. Uh, and then, you know, how to do comedy, train robbers. You know, yep. that is funny. Um, enjoyed that. A vampire's empire. Snap. Inexplicable. <laughs> Just, yeah, it's inexplicable. Subterranea, unfinished. Um, and finally, oh no, good fun blasting. Yep. That's quite a week. That was quite a week. And obviously, yeah, so bloody hell. What we got coming up next week? Let's, uh, oh, oh, hang on a minute. Let's first. Um, if you want to support us, yeah, so well, there's not much to say on that. The rest of those games, yeah, what they are. June is turning out to no. be, let's hope next week is better. But if you wish to support us, if you want to keep us keep us going, you can do that. Uh, I'll just quickly say, so we, you can do that by going over to our Patreon. And that is patreon.com forward slash zap to the past. You can join that for a pound, which is um, greatly appreciated. Um, or you can get the full fat experience, get the episodes early, get access to bonus stuff when we do those things, mm. um, get access to our Discord server where you can ask us questions for our Ask the Podcast uh, releases when we do them. You also get the, the episodes are ad free as well. So if you fancy all that, then you can head on over. That's £4.50 or your local equivalent um, and sign up. Good little community growing there. And, you know, come on and come and have some fun over there if you wish. And that helps us out, obviously, because it keeps us being able to pay server costs and recording costs and all that kind of stuff. Um, and that's greatly appreciated. If you can't do that, then obviously, if you just want to post about us, say you've listened to it on Twitter or something, that's always cool. Um, rate, review on iTunes, that kind of thing. Yeah, it, it does stuff, whatever. Um, tell your friends and share. Yeah, tell it. Tell people, you know, even if they don't like the C64. This is the last one this year, I think, isn't it? Mm. I think this is it. So this is it for Christmas. So we're going to take a couple of week break. I think it is. I think yeah, it's it episode is. 92 will be. Uh, will no, be, 91 uh, is. This is it. This is this yeah. is it for this year. So this is, yes, yeah, so this is releasing. When are we getting this out? Let me just let me just check on the calendar. Um, I should know. So yes, this is releasing. If you've listened to this, you just got this on the 19th. So yeah, we're taking a couple of weeks break. We'll be back in the new year where we'll carry on. Uh, we'll carry on as we get into episode 92. What games have we got coming up in episode 92, Graham? We have Alien Syndrome. Ah, quite interesting, that. Mm-hmm. 
Bob Winner. Uh, no, that, that does looks not look awful. Good. It does. Uh, something called Scout. Who knows? Mm-hmm. Um, then we've got Grisor. Got a good review, okay. but who knows? Wheelies, which didn't get a good review. Um, something mm-hmm. called Pandora. And I've just looked. I've just, well, I've obviously looking through the Zap magazine. And we've got something called Echelon, which is uh, black and green vectors. Oh, no. <laughs> you know what that's going to be like. <laughs> Yes, yeah. slow. slow. Slow and vectory. So yeah. set expectations to wireframe. <laughs> God's sake. Um, yeah, there you go. It just remains, actually, just to say thank you, Gary, for coming and joining us for this yes. uh, special episode. This was, like I said, this is our 100th release. It is episode 91, but in between releasing other stuff, C16 yep. special, the Aster podcast and all this stuff, this is actually the 100th episode that we have recorded. So it was really nice to have you on. Your knowledge of uh, music and ever is, you know, you know your stuff. Yeah, absolutely, yeah. He still um, stinks of uh, brown sauce, <laughs> even from here. <laughs> he does. <laughs> <laughs> and they were still booing him when we came on. <laughs> um, and I've always said that his life could do with a giant squid or two. Definitely, um, definitely. Yeah, definitely. I really could. So, but no, thank you, Gary. Thank you for coming on. It was good having you on. Maybe we'll get you on again for episode yes. two on, episode 200 when we've uh, cleaned out <laughs> the smell. <laughs> yeah, those wounds run pretty deep. <laughs> Indeed. <laughs> um, oh, that's it. I don't know. It's been a... Oh, what a... Lee Enfield. Lee Enfield. No, I, I don't want to think about it anymore. Between that, I'm still... I'm still... That, still haunted by the th- the loading of the three stooges Mine's still it's loading gonna haunt me for a while that one. <laughs> Mine's still still going still loading. That, that 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 moment when they start walking i'm like it, it, even now <laughs> thinking about it puts me on edge it's like no more of the walking please just just no i found 200 dollars. that stupid music oh my god <laughs> it was awful 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 game there we go i think that's it should we go that we should yes, go. Time okay. to go. All that remains is to say, have a good Christmas, have a good break, have a nice new year. We'll see you in the new year or whatever holiday it is that you are celebrating. Happy holidays, yeah. Yeah, have a happy holiday if it's not Christmas or whatever it is you're up to. Please, you know, listen to us. You know, if we cheer you up over that time, then that's cool. Drop us a line. You can do grab us on twitter where we'll be about but yeah we'll be back in the new year with episode 92 and yeah so that's it so have a good break we will have one too we'll see you then as ever i have been adrian mills i have been graham ruddings and you have been listening to lee enfield <laughs> in the <laughs> torture of loading with the three stooges um, the vampire's empire <laughs> the vampire's- <laughs> god surely next week no two weeks or episode 92 it has to be better it can't be worse it can't be but we've said that so many times and been proven Mm -hmm. wrong hopefully not this time um so yeah have a good break we'll see you in the new year um and goodbye thank you for listening to the zap to the past podcast we hope you enjoyed our deep dive into the world of commodore 64 games as well as the music films and tv from around the 1980s driven of course by the issue of zap 64 magazine published at that time we will return with a whole new batch of games and stuff to talk about next week until then if you want to listen to or download previous episodes of zap to the past and why wouldn't you they can all be found on our website at zaptothepast.com, as well as being available on podbean apple podcasts google podcasts spotify deezer audible player fm and well pretty much anywhere where we can upload them by the way we do always love to hear from our amazing listeners so if you'd like to contact us about anything in the podcast or beyond you can do so by emailing us at zaptothepast at gmail.com we're also active on twitter under at zaptother as well as facebook instagram and most social media platforms just search for zap to the past and you'll find us oh and if you like the podcast and what we're doing please do like share review rate us it really helps something apparently 
The Zaps of the Past podcast is written and produced by Adrian Mills and Graham Ruddings and recorded at Flaky Bits 2.0 Studio. All opinions expressed are those of the writers, and while we indeed love Zap64 magazine, the Zap to the Past podcast is not affiliated with it in any way. Stay safe, see you next time, and remember, we play these games so you don't have to.